Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. 2017 is in the books, and with its merciful end comes the overwhelming desire to bury it and move forward. Where the future is uncertain but optimistic for our beloved going to 2018 and beyond. How will the 2017 season be remembered? And will it be remembered at all? Lauren Cox from Bears Wire joins us on the 2017 Year in Review episode of the Chicago Bears Review. And here we are to put a bow on this uh, polished turd that is the 2017 season. Um, just want to get this done, get it over with, and move forward to, uh, as I said in the open, an uncertain but optimistic future. What's going on, everybody? Larry, back the 2017 year in review episode of the Chicago Bears Review, and I hope you guys have got a comfy spot, and I hope you've got your schedule cleared because this one is going to be a while i mean uh, the talk between lauren cox and myself an hour and 20 minutes easy uh we just went back and forth uh on the year we talked about our head coaching choices who we think the bears should go after who they should probably stay away from um you know we talk about everything from kyle fuller uh coming out of nowhere this year to the disappointment of ryan pace's um free agent acquisitions for 2017 i mean just Nothing about this 2017 offseason I enjoyed. You guys know that. Not happy with the free agent class that we walked away with. Um, I hate everybody knows that the knee-jerk reaction to the 2017 draft class was hatred. I did not like the 2017 draft class at all uh, in the moment on draft weekend. I just was not happy with it at all. And, um, you know, aside from the offensive tackle we put on injured reserve for moment one, the remaining four guys of our five-man draft class were contributors at one point or another throughout the year. Some more significant than others, but for the most part, initial reaction, knee-jerk reaction to the 2017 draft class at the end of 2017 is positive. You got Trubisky, Tariq Cohen, Adam Shaheen, Eddie Jackson. All those guys, not only were they big players for us this year, but they're going to be big players as we move forward into 2018 uh, and beyond. So, you know... It's a six in one hand, half a dozen in the other thing with Ryan Pace as our general manager. Lauren Cox and I talk about that quite a bit, about how he had these significant misses in free agency. He seems to make up for it, however, in his ability to scout and, and draft talent uh, out of the, you know, in the draft. So, I mean, aside from, you know, you know, for every Kevin White you have, a handful of, you have a Jordan Howard, a Tariq Cohen, an Eddie Jackson, a Nick Kwiatkowski, uh, Eddie Goldman, Cody Whitehair, and so on and so forth. He has way more draft successes than he does failures, but in but conversely, he has way more free agent failures than he has successes. For one Akeem Hicks, we have four or five Mike Glennon type disastrous players. As a matter of fact, 
we there's something else that Lauren and I talked about quite a bit. Aside from Prince of Mukamura, can you name anybody else that we signed in free agency that worked out for us in 2017? You know, Kendall Wright ended up being our leading receiver, but that was not the plan when we signed him. So kudos to Kendall Wright for being there, but that wasn't how that was supposed to go. So, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call Kendall Wright a success. He wasn't a failure, not by any stretch of the imagination. Prince of Mukamura came in and did what we wanted him to do uh, after he got over some early injury uh, bumps in the, in the beginning of the season. So he didn't uh, produce produce many turnovers. In fact, he didn't have any interceptions, but he was basically one of, our, one of the better corners that we had uh, this year. So, you know, like I said... On, on the draft side, he is way more. He is Eddie Goldman's and Cody Whitehair's and Jordan Howard's and Tariq Cohen's and, uh, you know, Mitchell Trubisky's and whatnot. And on the free agent side, he has way too many, <laughs> way too many Mike Glennon's and Quentin Demps and Marcus Wheaton's and all that kind of stuff on that side. The good thing, though, is just about everybody that we signed going into 2017 was basically on a one-year deal and the Bears can cut bait um, with minimal damage for them not to be bears in 2018. So the bears are sitting in a pretty good spot with their cap space right now. It's going to go up, I think quite a bit once the bears, uh, you know, hire this brand new coach and talk about, um, and start cutting some of the dead weight, uh, off of this team. So I hope I don't sound too funny, um, because I'm playing hurt at the moment. Uh, there is a cold flu bug, whatever you want to call it, uh, going around the office, uh, at work and it was my turn apparently uh, it started to hit me on Wednesday which is when I talked to Lauren was on Wednesday night I just had that little tickle in the back of your throat where you know something's coming and then about 9 10 a.m. in the morning because I already I, I felt fine when I woke up yesterday uh, to go to work made it in and then all of a sudden it's like the fever hit me like all of a sudden I'm I'm warm to the touch but I'm freezing you know that kind of thing all of a sudden, you know, I'm I'm 100% congested and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully I don't sound too much different than I did on Wednesday night when I talked to Lauren. It's just me and my OCD about those kind of things. But um, wanted to get the show out uh, for you guys. So here I am on uh, on Friday night. I took the day off from work today. Spent a lot of time on the couch staring at the back of my eyelids uh, recuperating so I can be 100% going forward. So um you know, feeling feeling a better this morning or better today than I did when I got up this morning. Uh, so uh, should be good to go. Still congested as hell. Uh, Going to empty this bottle of nasal spray this weekend. I can tell you that and uh, move on forward uh, from there. So a couple of things I want to talk about before we move on to our interview with Lauren. Uh, number one, this is not the last show for 2017 uh, for the 2017 season. Um there will be one more, and it will be it will be a review episode of sorts when we hire our new head coach. Uh, we're gonna do that. It will be the final one. That will be you know as as much as it is like the first move of 2018. To me, it's the final the final chapter uh, of 2017. You know how uh, you know like if you're looking at uh, Star Wars or you know any of those movie trilogies and things like that. There's always something at the end of one movie that connects to the next one. So that's how we're going to do it. Our last episode of the of this season, of this 11th season of the Chicago Bears Review, will be introducing our new head coach, um, and uh, then we'll move on from there. We'll have our we'll have our annual uh, hiatus between now and say 
end of February, early March, right before free agency, we'll have our free agency preview uh, episode. Then about a week or two after the free agency period, that's when all the significant signings are done. We'll do the free agency review show and uh, take another little break from there. We'll have our pre uh, excuse me our draft preview. Hopefully, we'll get our our resident uh, draft expert Scott Wright back on the show for that, and then we'll have our uh, draft review episode. One final little break after that, and then we start our opponent previews, and then before you know it, the 2018 season will be there. Oh, I also forgot. Somewhere between the free agent, or excuse me, the draft preview and the draft review will be the schedule. The The schedule is going to come out at some point, and uh, we'll be able to uh, talk about that quite a bit. And uh, we touched upon it a little bit with Lauren, um, kind of going over who the Bears are playing, because that's not a mystery. We got the uh, NFC West and the AFC East. So the Niners, the Rams, the Cardinals, and the Seahawks. And then we got the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Jets, and the Bills. And uh, the interesting thing about that is that this will be the first time uh, since I started doing the interviews that we'll have the AFC East as opponents. So therefore... It will finally help me complete my carousel of uh, all 32 teams. This is this is the last four teams that we haven't had guests on the show for, so kind of a milestone for me that I'll be that I'll have at least one person from every team that I've had on the show uh, thus far, and I'm looking forward to completing that uh, in 2018. So it's um, it's going to be an interesting schedule next year. We got the Giants and the Buccaneers as our same place opponents, and then of course our six games annually with the NFC North uh, division. So um, we'll see how we can how we can do with this new head coach and and who Lauren and I think it should be um, when we agreed on it, actually. we I asked him who he thinks the head coach should be, knowing who I wanted to pick, and it turns out Lauren liked him uh, as well. As a matter of fact, the Bears interviewed him today uh, on, uh, on Friday. They interviewed him today. So uh, Josh McDaniels and Pat Shermer were interviewed today. Which one do Lauren and I like? Stick around and find out. So, um, But that's pretty much the game plan. That's pretty much how we do it uh, during the offseason uh, with you know some, some breaks here and there. But uh, I won't leave you hanging for long, mostly because I miss doing it. I really love doing the show, guys, and I appreciate that everybody is here uh, listening to it. Uh, some of you have been around uh, from the beginning, you know, which would be 2007. Uh, some of you have been around almost as long. Some of you, uh, f- you know, recent additions and so on to the Chicago Bears review family. And I appreciate every last one of you guys. I mean, uh, I've, I initially started doing this to to scratch an itch. I'm, I'm a broadcaster by trade. It's what I went to school for. Things in the broadcasting world didn't work out for me, but I still have a desire and a love to do it. So I started the Chicago Bears review as a way to scratch the itch. And the reason that I'm still doing it 11 years later is because I know you guys are out there listening to it. So, you know, not only does it scratch an itch for me, uh, I have an audience and I love all you guys. And that's why I keep doing the show uh, each and every year and why I will do it until I'm six feet under, I swear. So um, anyway, other than the, the head coaching candidates, the Bears are talking to. Uh, we've already, uh, Pace has already interviewed... Um, Fangio, he interviewed uh, Vic Fangio uh, and George Edwards 
defensive coordinator for the Vikings, Pat Shermer, offensive coordinator for the Vikings, and Josh McDaniels, offensive coordinator for the uh, New England Patriots. And um, other people on the list, John DeFilippo, the quarterback coach for the Eagles, a hot coaching candidate for this season. Uh, I don't know if he's going to interview Frank Reich or not, the offensive coordinator for the uh, Eagles. Uh, he might talk to um, Steve Wilkes, defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, some of us out there holding out hope that uh, Dave Tobe, our former special teams coordinator, currently down in Kansas City right now, might uh, get a get a nod or an interview. Uh, Matt Nagy from the Kansas City Chiefs, also a top candidate the Bears plan on talking to uh, as well. So going to see how quickly the Bears can uh, can wrap this up and, and, and move on and, and name the next head coach. And uh, like I said, when we name that guy, I will uh, come back one last time to wrap up. This will be the, you know, the, the end of this year, but that little teaser for the next chapter kind of thing. And uh, that's how we'll finish it. And even, uh, and, and surprisingly, I was just looking at it, actually, that will be the 60th episode for the 2017 season. So uh, that's a nice little way to, a nice round number, like 60, uh, to wrap it all up. So anyway, had a great talk with Lauren Cox. We love having him on the show. And because, you know, we uh, we, we, we enjoy talking to each other, sometimes we uh, can get a little bit long-winded. So like I said, I hope you guys are uh, nestled in. And uh, also, I hope you'll stick around after the interview because... We have the 2017 year in review bear up and bear down list. So who made the list? Who did not make the cut? Who's on the bear down list? That should be fun. Uh, so stick around for that after the interview. But for now, I'm going to go ahead and step aside, bring on our good friend Lauren Cox to uh, help us wrap up 2017 and help us review this, what do you want to call it, disaster of a season? I mean, it was and it wasn't. And Anyway, here's me and Lauren. Enjoy. Well, here we are, 2017 in the books. The The season is over. Uh, the John Fox era has come to an end, so it's back to a new beginning uh, for our beloved Chicago Bears. Before we move on to that, uh, we'll, we'll quickly go through a review of the season and here to help us out with that. Once again, our good friend from Bears Wire and the Locked on Bears podcast, Lauren Cox. Lauren, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, it's a pleasure. Looking forward to this. You know, what is it? Three times a year we get this pretty regularly, and it's always a blast. So yeah, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Let's do it. So, Lauren, the last time you were on the show with us was for our midseason review, and um, we had there was a, an air of optimism in that conversation. Um, you know, we, we, we had that talk about we've got three wins, but they were yeah, but wins. Uh, you know, the overtime games that shouldn't have gone to overtime against the the Steelers and the uh, and the Ravens, and then there was that the Eddie Jackson game against the Panthers, where our offense ran thirty plays and only scored three points on its own. If not for Eddie Jackson, who knows how that game turns out? But the defense was kicking ass. Trubisky was 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 showing flashes of, of what we had you know drafted him second overall for, and we were entering 
a portion of the schedule that we had been looking forward to since the schedule came out. I mean, when the schedule came out, you looked at those first two games and thought immediately three and five would be an absolute blessing. And then the second half of that schedule opens up really nicely for us. And instead you get a quite a different result. I mean, in that second half of the season, we kind of knew going in that like that Philadelphia game was going to be bad. So, you know, you can, you can write that one off, but man, that, that stretch of five losses in a row from the saints game to the 49ers game, that kind of put the final nail in the coffin for the John Fox era. It really did. And, and the thing was that, you know, like I said, we had this air of optimism. It was, it was a guarded optimism because it is John Fox and Dole Loggins for Christ's sake, but it was an optimism that we had. We're looking at this schedule. We got an Aaron Rodgers Packer team. We got two games with the Lions who are kind of trending down at the moment. We got the Bengals who aren't playing well. You got the 49ers and the Browns. I mean, dude, we could go five and three, six and two if things go our way. Instead, we did worse in the second half of the schedule than we did in the first half. We went two and six in those last eight games. And on a, on a portion of the schedule, we were practically salivating to get to. Well, and, you know, at least as the year went on, you know, the 49ers became, you know, that was the first Jimmy Garoppolo game. And in in hindsight, that looks like much less of a bad loss, as terrible as it felt at the time. The 49ers had, what, one win until then, and I think they won out the rest of the year after that. So at least, you know, you can, you can kind of look back at that one and be like, okay, maybe that's not as bad as it looks. And then... Boy, that that first Detroit one at home was a heartbreaker, and I think there was some Connor Barth involved in that one off the top of my head. And then you get to the second Detroit one, and it's just uh, like it seems like every year the Bears, even last year, you know they they always get one against Detroit, and when they failed to do so under Fox, did not win a single divisional game this year. Right. That was that was the real the real knock on the 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 real uh, the final straw. Absolutely, and. You know, it it's it it started with the with the Packer game. You know, no Aaron Rodgers. We got Brent Huntley, who just got who just got his ass handed to him on Monday Night Football in Lambeau by the Lions the week before that. You know, I mean, it was just one disaster after another for Huntley. He really hadn't shown anything. And you know, my favorite part was not only did he play well against the Bears after that game, Lauren. I don't know if you listened to the show or not. But after that game, I went on a 43-minute profanity-laced tirade uh, after the game. Uh, I lost my ever-loving mind about that game, Lauren. I, I could not wrap my head around what the Bears were doing that day and that how that uh, you know Brent Huntley went on to look like Aaron Rodgers for four quarters and beat the Bears in a game we absolutely should have had. And then I predicted at that game, Huntley wouldn't do a damn thing on the next game against the Ravens, and he went home to Glambo again and got shut out. So uh, I was vindicated in that, but it also made me feel a lot worse about that loss to Green Bay. Well, and that was just one of those games where it felt like no matter what, the Packers are just always a step ahead, you know, coaching-wise, and just seem to know what the Bears are going to do. And sometimes it's pretty obvious in the sense that, like, we can sit at home and kind of figure out what Dowell Loggins is going to do and, especially with, you know, personnel and play calling off of that. So it's one thing when when we can see that kind of stuff, but it, it just seems like, you know, whether it's their running game getting going and, and just finding these holes in the Bears' defense that 
just didn't seem to always be there against other opponents or, you know, a guy like Devontae Adams going off a little bit in that game and even Randall Cobb kind of randomly getting more involved than he had in, in previous weeks. There's just like something about the Packers when they play the Bears that they just know what to do and how to get ahead of whatever the Bears try and throw at them. And I'm hoping that's something that we can alleviate ourselves of with this brand new head coach, whoever it may be. And we'll talk candidates here in a little bit. But um, as you were saying that, I had an alert come on my phone. Um, maybe you got it too. But the alert About says Dole Loggins. Loggins just got hired as offensive coordinator of the Miami Dolphins. So um, Adam Gase, who's going to be the play caller anyway, is taking Dole Loggins you know, off of the NFL's hands. And I'm sure that, that everyone can collectively rejoice ab- about that. But uh, everyone you know, but Ryan Tannehill. Probably. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Absolutely. And Jay Cutler just left the Dolphins. So he's probably thrilled to be leaving Miami as well. So um, anyway, but uh, you're, you're right that the, the, the Packers, the, when the Bears play the Packers, there's something different about what goes on in that game and pretty much since you know lovey won like the first four out of five against green bay it's been all downhill since then i mean when, when lovey got hired we kind of thought we were going to you know take control of this rivalry again and kind of give as good as we get but instead you know it's like after the 06 season actually we, we swept him in 07 so in 2008 and everything it just it stopped being a, a rivalry and they've dominated us pretty much uh since then well, and was it Lovey that when he was hired, he he was talking about his goals for the team, and like goal number one was beat the Green Bay Packers, and then goal number two was win the division. Was that Lovey? That was, and because Wanstad and Jerron combined for like four wins in seven seasons or something like that uh, against uh, Green Bay, and that's when Favre and the Packers were winning the division every year. So in order to win the division, we had to beat Green Bay. So it just made sense. I remember some people in in Chicago going nuts over that like why doesn't he want to win a championship why does he care about beating green bay and no one really kind of got what lovey was trying to say there i mean it made a lot of sense to some people but other people just lost their minds when he said that yeah and i I think that's the kind of thing that i mean you would think it should it should have gone over well at the time but i also think that's the kind of thing that would or should go over well right now you know if they hired a new head coach i know we'll get into them later if they came in here and said you know we want to beat the green bay packers again i I would think that should go over well. I mean, obviously, it should be kind of implicitly understood that, like, yes, every coach's number one goal is to win the championship. So you don't, I mean, as much as you don't need to say that, like, that should be implied in beating the Packers and winning the division and then winning a championship. But it's, I think, something about him kind of coming out and reinvigorating the fans and just kind of saying, you know what, these rivalries are important and we've been getting our ass kicked in it for the last however many years. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that would be, would be a good thing. It would be a, a message of the coach basically coming out and saying, I get it. You know, I get it. We have to beat these guys. Uh, you're tired of watching us lose because these are the guys that we play twice a year. So, you know, it's not like we just have to watch Aaron Rodgers kick our ass once. We have to do it twice. And sometimes we have to do it at home. Uh, as well so it's it's not fun but um you know the 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 green bay game was terrible and i lost my mind after that game i'd really had it uh with that um you know Tariq cohen was a ghost uh in that game i could not figure out why josh bellamy was all of a sudden our number one wide receiving target 
in that game when we he, he was he was non-existent in the first half of the season when we could use wide receiver help and then we get to a point in the season where our wide receiving core is probably in the best shape it had been in all year and Bellamy was the go-to guy not Trey McBride not Dontrell Inman not even Kendall Wright but Bellamy was the guy that we were going to over and over again in the Green Bay game I just could not figure it out what they were what they were doing then we go to the Detroit game and it seems like Dole Loggins undid everything we got Trubisky going. Cohen was a bigger factor in the football game. We're spreading the ball around. Shaheen, we're hitting multiple receivers. But in the end, we put it in the hands of Connor Barth, who let us down gloriously in that one. That was the, oh boy, the not even close yeah. game, wasn't it? It landed in another zip code. That's how far off that kick was. I mean, it <laughs> never had a shot. I mean, moments after Trubisky made two of the best plays he's made all year, that fourth down scramble to get the first down, and then that absolute laser of a throw that he made to Inman to get us in field goal range, and then the cherry on top was Connor Barth. I don't know. if Is the guy right-footed? Maybe he should be kicking with his left foot the way that he was – you know, the way that he uh, did that in, in, in Detroit. I mean, maybe he's just been kicking with the wrong leg all this time. Well, and then and then after him, it was Carlos Santos, as John Fox called him at the press. I mean, the, the whole kicker situation has just been ridiculous. But, you know, I thought, too, I didn't think of it at the time, but when you just re-described the game to me again, it, it dawned on me how similar that sounds to the way that they played the Lions last year under Matt Barkley when they were driving at the end of that game and he like threw that great pass and then it was called back for holding and then like he threw another one and there was a penalty and yeah. like the quarterback did everything he could to win that game and yet the lions still walked away with the victory despite the offense functioning the way it's supposed to the defense doing pretty much its job and, and enough to put the team in position to win and one way or another self-inflicted wounds on the bears whether it was 2016 with with Matt Barkley or 2017 with Mitchell Trubisky those self-inflicted wounds kept coming back, and that all points to John Fox, and, and those are gone for now. For now, yeah. And and self-inflicted wounds, I, there's a phrase that I said over and over uh, you know, throughout the year. I mean, we we've, the first thing that comes to mind is the Monday night game, Trubisky's uh, debut against the Vikings. Two plays that I've talked about 100 times already this season, the Jordan Howard touchdown run they got called back due to a holding penalty, there was a pass to Trey McBride that would have gotten us inside the red zone, called back because of a penalty. If we get at least get a field goal out of that and we keep the touchdown for Jordan Howard, we win that game against Minnesota rather easily, actually. And who knows what the trajectory of the season is like because that was the game. Minnesota winning that game was kind of what set them off on like an eight-game winning streak to where they you know, became the team that they ended up being, 13-3, and uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the season. And, and the Bears, on the other hand, you know, kind of flip-flop the rest of their way through the year. Well, and I wonder how many games, if you really went back and look at it, you know, when you see the Minnesota game, they lost by three, and and those plays could have potentially flipped the outcome or at least certainly set up the ending to be a lot different. You know, I think the Green Bay game, when Benny Cunningham dives, that was the the Green Bay game was when Benny Cunningham dove at the end zone and John Fox challenges it and turns it over and gives the ball to the Packers. That, that game was decided by seven points. Yeah. You know, if the Bears keep the ball there and Benny Cunningham scores, not saying the Bears win that game necessarily, but it gets you a lot closer. And then, like we were just talking about the Lions game, Connor Barth misses the field goal. These self-inflicted wounds right there is three games that maybe you're not guaranteeing wins in any of them if some of those plays flip over, but you're talking about a, a lot closer and a lot potential chances to win games. And instead, it's three more losses and you're 5-11 and instead of 
eight and eight if you win those three games. I mean, right. the, the end of the season gets a little bit more interesting. Right. I mean, and that's what was what has been so frustrating about those three years under John Fox is that that's what's happened all three years against John Fox. Only except every time that the Bears have had an opportunity to get ahead, they've fallen short every single time. The Bears have never been better than 500, uh, you know, and have never been 500 under John Fox. And every time that they've gotten close, they've fallen short every single time. We get to, you know, three and four heading into that Saints game. We lose five in a row and therefore never getting close to 500 again. We start 0-3 uh, in his first year. We win those two games against the Raiders and the Chiefs after that. We win that final game in Detroit before the bye. We're 3-3 three and three into the bye, and, you know, but we lose and we're 2-4. and four. The closest we get is when we beat uh, Green Bay on Thanksgiving night. We were 5-6 and six at that point. Only two games out of first place at 7-4 and four was Green Bay, and we never got close to it again. We, finished, we lost f- four out of the last five to finish 6-10. and 10. So, you know, it, it's been it's monumentally disappointing watching this team let us down each and every time that they can. And the ironic part is that every time we've kind of come to a portion of the schedule, we're like, yeah, the Bears can probably make some noise in this part of the year. They've fallen short every single time. And it just seems like, you know, and then they're not really even one of those teams that plays up to the competition or plays down to the competition. There's, basically, they either show up or they don't. Well, and that's to me just all points to the head coach. I mean, I know yeah. we're kind of beating a dead horse, and I'm sure it's been <laughs> it's been a topic conversation on my podcast all year, and I know it's been re- repeated on yours. So I don't yeah. want to don't want to keep doing it too much. But I mean, when it's not when it's not always the same thing, it's not always just the Bears' offense being terrible. That's been some of the games, but you know, like that Lions game, like you said, Dowell Loggins kind of put it together. It's not always that. Or some games, the defense just gets a little bit blown, a little like uh, a little bit tired out, and can't stay on the field or can't get off the field rather and you know it's always one thing or another some games it's it's 10 penalties and or it's two missed field goals it's all different things and that all comes back to one man up top if it was if it was over and over again you know this quarterback keeps turning the ball over or over and over again the running backs can't get anything going then then you start to okay well maybe other things need to be changed but when it's a, a systemic team-wide issue across Different offensive coordinators in three years, different quarterbacks, different pieces across the board. All comes back to the guy up there that's been the same. And that's John Fox. You're absolutely right. I mean, and it's you know, it's that's the the burden uh, of being the head guy is that uh, you know those things are going to fall on you, um, you know, no matter what. And uh, you're right. It wasn't always just one thing. I mean, there have been certain themes that have kind of plagued his. His tenure, and I talked about this uh, at the end of the show uh, last week, uh, was talking like, you know, I very much believe that John Fox could be the Jay Cutler of our coaching history for the Bears, where, you know, we, we tried to get, we, we went into this thing with, with the best of intentions, we tried to get the guy some pieces, but for one reason or another, it never came together. You know, whether it was injuries or, you know, coming in as a, you know, kind of trying to rebuild and change the culture uh, of the franchise after the disastrous Tressman era uh, and things like that. I wonder if time is going to be kind to John Fox as we get away and we look at how many people finish the year on IR and how many, you know, the what ifs of the John Fox era, if, you know, we'd have been able to stay healthy, if we gotten maybe one or two more bounces in our direction 
you know, kind of thing. Will we look more finely on the Fox era or will it always be looked at as like, yeah, we should have went a different way with that. And I think that's another way you can compare to Jay Cutler, because I think when Cutler left, the question was, well, how are we going to end up remembering Jay Cutler? And at the time, I thought it would be purely based on whoever comes next. You know, if the Bears miss on their next quarterback, whether it's in the draft or free agency, and and they're kind of stuck in this this bad years of quarterback, people might look back at Jay and be like, oh, wow, maybe that wasn't so bad, and especially compared to what we have now. Now you're looking at Mitchell Trubisky, and I think it's going to end up making Jay look a little bit worse in past light. And so when you look at the next head coach, if they find the guy that's going to take him to a lot of postseason success, it's going to make John Fox and Mark Trestman look particularly terrible. But, you know, if he goes out and hires one of these, you know, young offensive coordinators that don't have a lot of experience and maybe they have a, a little bit of a Mark Trestman type career because they're maybe a little bit in over their heads, then we might look back and not feel like John Fox was so bad. So it's all, it's all going to depend on what happens next because that'll be the perspective on what he did so real quick let's go over the offense here i mean because if there was anything that frustrated bear fans more than anything it was the offense and um you know how much do you subscribe to the idea that fox was uh pulling the strings more than he probably should have been this year i think he was pulling some strings and i think the defensive minded john fox pulling any strings is a bad idea right but I I think there are some people that would like to absolve Dowell Loggins from all blame or at least most blame because there's some level of John Fox influence. And I think there's a fair amount of blame to go both ways. I think John Fox pushes a certain offensive identity and mentality and kind of tells Loggins not to do certain things. But Dowell is still the guy calling the plays in the order and determining which personnel is on the field for each play. So, you know, I see like, Perhaps the idea of keeping Mitchell Trubisky held back and keeping the gloves on him and not letting him more loose within the offense, that's the kind of thing I'm more willing to blame on a John Fox influencing Loggins that maybe Loggins was fighting for Trubisky to be able to do more. That's why we kind of saw that grow. And like even in that Lions game, I think we kind of saw the gloves come off. And then you have the Eagles issues and it come, comes back on. And you know I think there's some Fox pushing and some fighting back and forth there. But when you look purely at like a Dowell Loggins, I think – I, I put the blame on him when you get into those situations where it's it's a fullback and two tight ends in the game and everybody knows you're running and you run the same couple plays out of those same looks and like every time you motion the tight end to the same side as the other tight end, you pretty much tend to run that way or if you bring a wide receiver motion in really tight split next to the tight ends, you're almost always blocking and that wide receiver is going to have to make a very difficult block for the play to work and it consistently doesn't work. Those are the types of things that seem purely to be Dowell Loggins, and I, I put a lot of the blame on him. But the the bigger picture stuff about being too conservative with Trubisky and not going forward on fourth downs and those type of things, I think, go back on John Fox. Well, and the, and the fact that, that our offense was horribly predictable. I mean, just ridiculous. I mean, if third and long, we were doing t- one of two things. We were only almost never actually going to try for the first down. We were either throwing a screen pass or we were doing some kind of draw play, and every defense in the NFL knew it. And those plays were never successful because the defense knew what, we, what was coming, and we did it anyway. And it was the, the frustrating tale of the first half was the incessant running of the football, regardless of the fact that every defense we played was in short yardage 
first all the way through fourth down. Like they were daring us to throw the ball. We never did. You know, somehow Jordan Howard made it through the season healthy, which I think is a miracle compared to what we put that kid through uh, this year. And, you know, then in the second half of the season, we practically abandoned the run um, somehow. It's like Jordan Howard's not getting any touches uh, anymore, somehow still finished to be the number six rusher uh, in the NFL this year, which is unbelievable uh, in, in my estimation. I mean, it just it, it made me crazy to watch the offense because, the, you know, like we were saying before, it was never the same thing. It was always something different, and yet we were doing it in a way that made us so horribly predictable. Defenses could see us coming a mile away, and we made some some mediocre defenses look pretty good on some Sundays. I think the most frustrating stat about the Bears' offense this year is the amount or lack thereof of no huddle they used. The, the pro football reference to splits on no huddle, huddle, shotgun, and under center. 16 games this year. How here? I'll have you guess. How many plays of no huddle do you think the Bears ran? A dozen. Thirty-seven. Wow. But that's 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 two a game. That's like two and a half. Yeah. A game of no huddle. I mean, not that you have to run this whole quick offense, but don't you think that's the kind of thing that would make things easier on your rookie quarterback? Keeping the defense in the same personnel, not allowing them to make you know substitutions can have yeah. a few quick plays ready for him to go. He can get his players in positions, read the defense pre-snap, kind of know what they're going to be doing, and then get the playoff. 31 pass attempts from no huddle, four rushing attempts, six yards per carry on those four rushing attempts. But, you, you know, this seems just like these obvious things that that's what the Eagles do with Carson Wentz. That's what the, the Rams have done with Jared Goff. These kind of common sense things to get your quarterback going. 37 no huddle plays in 16 games. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, you mentioned about, uh, you know, the defense not being able to make substitutions. I, I think it was in the second half of the season, because I don't know if I got a chance to talk to you about this, but John Fox and Doa Loggins did a, an early week, uh, like Tuesday or something like that, press conference where they were answering questions from the media about why we weren't using Tariq Cohen more often or why Benny Cunningham is in on this or, you know, that. And, you know, I don't know who it was that said it first, but one guy definitely parroted the other when they said that defense determines what personnel goes out on the field instead of the, I mean, every football game I've ever watched in my life, Lauren, the defense sends their personnel out after they see who the offense is putting on the field. And somehow <laughs> John Fox and Doyle Loggins are trying to get us to believe that they're sending offensive personnel out there when they see who's on the field for the defense. I want yeah. it almost made my head explode trying to figure out what the hell they thought they were trying to tell us. And like that's exactly I mean that's how the Bears defense works too. You'll see every single NFL college even high school sidelines, maybe not quite the, the same mechanics, but they have uh, there's always a defensive coach and he's holding the card and he's got the numbers 1 2 and 3 and 1 2 and 3 in the 10 digits and then single digits and when they see the offensive personnel they flip it so it'll say 11 21 22 13 31 whatever the personnel is going to be they hold that up once they see what the offense picks for their personnel so then everyone on the defense knows what personnel it is so they can then put it on the field so like physically and literally the bears do this they wait for what the the offense puts on the field and then they put their personnel on the field so i mean there's i mean i get what John Fox is saying that like not physically on the play, they don't look and count at what defense on the field, but they know generally 
based on how opposing defenses are going to defend them in a game from a game plan standpoint, that determines what players the Bears think they're going to put on the field. But that's that's coaching. That's coaching behind, and that's not establishing your own offense and setting the tone and doing everything that 31 other NFL teams seem to be able to do. It's exactly, and that that's exactly what I was was saying was that it just. It makes no sense, you know. Number one, that you would say this out loud, and the number one that your top offensive assistant would back you up on it if it was Fox that said it first. And it just like any other, like I said, any other football game in my life that I've watched, the defense responds to who the offense puts out there, not the other way around. The, the offense isn't sitting there to see what DBs are out on the field, so we know which receivers or what tight end or anything like that to do. They're always responding to what the defense, because it's the offense that dictates, you know it's the offense that's going to dictate personnel and they're trying to sit there and, and tell us it's the other way around. And it, it just made, made me insane uh, to read that. Thankfully I didn't have to watch the clip to, to see them actually say it, but it was, you know, reading that it made me nuts. Well, and just everything they tried to say about Tariq Cohen, like just did not make a single ounce of sense that like, well, the other teams are taking him away. So we stopped using him or we started using him less. And instead of, Using knowing that they're taking him away, knowing that he's taking the attention of the defense, and using that to get everyone else more open and more available. I mean, they were they, they were they were right that other teams were very much keying in on Tariq Cohen. Like even I remember in the Baltimore Ravens game, like they would send two guys over to Cohen. They'd be in man coverage, like or cover one with a linebacker in zone and everyone else in man, and that linebacker would turn at the snap, find Tariq Cohen, and double team him. So that means you have one on one everywhere else so instead of using that to try and get you know Dontrell Inman or Kendall Wright in these one-on-one matchups that they can potentially win instead you take Tariq Cohen off the field because well he's not getting open and and they can't if they can't design plays to Tariq Cohen then why even use him what really made me crazy throughout the year about their press conferences is that it just Number one, it it just seemed like a total lack of transparency. Like they were just trying to throw out whatever answer they could muster up in their head as opposed to just telling us the truth. And that the entire Bears organization, uh, especially after seeing Ryan Pace's press conference this week, could really use a PR coach uh, of some kind. Because, you know, the, the, the one that really got me was at, I think, like week 14, Week 13, week 14 of the season, Dole Loggins goes and tells everyone that we're trying to find a role for Marcus Wheaton in the offense. It's like, how about wide receiver? How's that for a role <laughs> in the offense? We're, we seem to be hurting in that area, and yet we can't figure out how to get Marcus Wheaton, our $6 million wide receiver, uh, on the field uh, somehow. I mean, the guy finished the year with three catches this year, Lauren. He made $2 million per catch this year. Uh, for the Bears. And granted, he was hurt, you know, three different times this year, which is $2 million in injury if you want to be silly about it. But, you know, it's just the guy was, he, we, we expected so much from him. And, you know, for all the, the, the you know, the, the desire and, and whatever, when we signed the guy and, and the intentions and, and whatnot, we never seemed to use the guy. And, you know, he was always on the field when he probably shouldn't have been uh, and everything like that. And then here's Loggins like, well, we're just trying to find a role for him in the offense. (laughs) He just put him out there, throw him a damn ball. How's that for a role in the offense? I mean, that's it just it it, every answer that they gave seemed condescending in a way. Uh, They just didn't seem like, you know, like the, the the lack of transparency and the 
the the lack of willingness to tell the fans anything for you know the the competition the competitive advantage or whatever just seemed just seemed to get ridiculous more and more ridiculous as the year went along and it seemed like every time the, either of the two off of the Fox or Loggins tried to answer a question it just kind of created three or four more and, then, yeah. and that was never never a good thing but like you know with Marcus Wheaton I kind of put late season Dontrell Inman in the same category too I mean these are both receivers that are you know vertical straight line speed guys and the Bears just didn't run an offense that utilized either of those skill sets you know early in with the Inman you know, like in that Packers game, he got pretty well involved in his first game there. And they were running a lot of like slants with him and some nice, you know, kind of quick stuff underneath. And then they took a few shots his way and it was working. But after that, they kind of stopped working that vertical game and stuff with him. And they had him trying to run more like in and out routes and, you know, moving laterally in a way that's not great for him. And I think that was the case a lot for Marcus Wheaton as well, that these are guys that need to run go routes or comebacks or curls and kind of just work vertically and not have to change direction and then pick up speed in that direction. They're not accelerators as much as they are long speed guys. And the Bears just didn't do that. Like I charted the Browns game, even when the when the Bears won that game, I think there were two plays all game where they had two receivers run vertical routes. Like two and I mean out of like I think it was thirty four plays in that game. There were only two plays where guys ran vertical routes and both times they were essentially decoys because like one of them they ran vertical routes with curls right underneath them so they were just creating space that way and another one was a screen pass where they were just kind of getting out of there so I mean they just refused to have guys work their way downfield and I get that you can't necessarily build a, a fully vertical offense sometimes with offensive line issues and certainly some other personnel issues as far as weapons go but when you have talented receivers you know Wheaton has been productive with the Steelers Inman has been very productive with the Chargers. There is talent at this wide receiver position, but neither one was being used in the fashion that is most successful for them. And so you're left without with three catches for Marcus Wheaton instead of being able to utilize that for Trubisky. Yeah, and and the thing is, you know, I I shudder to think what's going to happen to this wide receiving core going into 2018 because we really we saw nothing from Marcus Wheaton, and you know for. For all intents and purposes, the guy was healthy for the majority of the season, but almost never on the field. We traded for Dontrell Inman and then barely used him. Um, Kendall Wright was Trubisky's favorite target. Actually, he was anybody's favorite target. Mike Lennon liked him a lot, too. But, uh, you know, after Zach Miller went down, we basically took the tight end out of the offense uh, for the Bears. Deion Sims was... A blocking, useless. yeah, absolutely useless. After you know, we we as Shaheen had a decent game against Detroit, then he had a decent game against Cincinnati. Unfortunately, that was the last game he played because he had that chest injury. But you know, those were the two games in the second half of the season where we got to see Adam Shaheen uh, play. Uh, Daniel Brown was basically a special teams guy that caught a pass every now and again. And like you said, Deion Sims, you know useless you know when we're paying that guy six million dollars a year um i and I, I shudder to think what the what the wide receiving core is going to look like next year i mean do we bring kevin white back what's cam meredith going to be like coming off the knee injury and everybody else is on a one-year deal except marcus wheaton of all people so yeah it's going to be ugly yeah I, I mean i think that the big question mark is is how much money kendall wright earned with a year like this i mean he was 
good. I mean, he was the best, the Bears' best wide receiver, but it wasn't as though he lit it up every single game. And, you know, he was far from a, a super productive receiver. I think he finished with like, what, 60 catches, 600 yards, somewhere around that range. So he's not going to earn a, a massive contract, especially at age 28. So, you know, Meredith said he's supposed to be ready for like training camp or certainly the beginning of the season there. But I, I'd just like to see a new offensive coach, whether it's the coordinator or the head coach, that can just get more out of the talent that they have instead of getting less. Like it felt like the Bears got less out of the talent that they had at quite a few positions this year. You know, I think you can you can even squeeze more out of Kendall, right? You could you could have squeezed more out of Inman and Marcus Wheaton. You know, maybe a, a new coach likes what they've seen from Inman and says, you know what, you were being used terribly last year. Let's get you back on a one-year deal, you know, very cheap because you didn't do anything, and we're going to make you back into that 800-yard receiver that the Chargers had a couple years ago because I know how to use offensive players. So I, I think the coach should, in theory, be the one that's able to, you know, kind of make something out of nothing. Because I think you see a lot of teams, or at least a lot of wide receivers on teams, come out of nowhere a little bit, guys that aren't the first-round picks, you know, like the Adam Thielen in Minnesota, these guys that kind of come out of nowhere and play better than they have in previous years because they get coaches that can help put them in position to be successful. I think the Bears can at least find some guys and piece together a wide receiver core, even if they're not investing a first-round pick and $50 million on them. Right. So, I mean, free agency is going to be huge uh, for this team. Um you know, I, because we just because we have to hit on free agency this year. I mean, if there, I mean, if if there was a reason to let Ryan Pace go, wins and losses aside, his free agent acquisitions would definitely be at the top of the list uh, or or way up there. Uh, anyway, aside from Trevathan and like Akeem Hicks, has he brought anybody in that was been like, oh yeah, that was a great move. Uh, as far as free agency is concerned, I mean Josh Sitton um, is um, debatable. I mean he's been good. And he kind of lucked into that one. Yeah, we did, and that you know that was that was more of a, the Bears taking advantage of a situation than you know recruiting the guy and in, in when he's got multiple choices and uh, and, and whatnot. But um, you know it's like Akeem Hicks was a grand slam, not a home run. He was a grand slam. The guy's been a beast for the Bears. And Trevathan, when he's been on the field, he's been you know. He's been awesome uh, for us, but, you know, Jarrell Freeman is productive when he's on the field, but he probably won't play uh, anymore, and at least not for the Bears anyway. And basically everyone that he signed in this offseason was a disaster. You know, you can throw Prince Amukamara in there, though. I, I will yeah. I, I will give him credit for that one. I thought he, he had an underrated season that I think people got caught up in Kyle Fuller a lot and certainly both of the Bears' safeties, but... It was it was kind of a quiet year for Mukamara where he wasn't, but but that was a good thing because he wasn't thrown at a lot, wasn't giving up big plays, didn't have you know the big turnover numbers. But I thought he did a good job of just kind of locking down his side. I agree, and you know it. Um, where do you land on Cal Fuller? Um, because I was impressed with the way that he played in the first half of the season uh, when Marcus Cooper had proven not to be what we needed him. Uh, to be Kyle Fuller really stepped up. He played really well in the first half of the year. And then those first couple of games in the second half against Green Bay and Detroit, he was awful. Absolutely awful. I mean, the Lions and the Packers went after Kyle Fuller and they made him look bad. 
And then he kind of turned it around towards the end of the year. He had that really dominant game against Josh Gordon uh, in in the Cleveland game and and played decently against the uh, the Vikings. You know, it was like where do you where do you land on him as far as you know? Should we bring him back? What's the price tag of a Kyle Fuller? Yeah, I I don't know exactly where I land on Kyle Fuller. I think I think the I think he's going to be a guy. Well, well, first of all, it depends on who the defensive coordinator is because he's not. He played. I mean, this was his best year. I th- I think in his career easily, and he's not. And he showed more of an ability to do what Vic Fangio wants in his cornerbacks, which typically wasn't what Fuller had been good at. So I think he showed a more well-rounded skill set this year than in previous years. But he's still a guy that's better as an off-ball zone corner, and and they still did a lot with him this year. I mean, as you look at the Bears' cornerbacks, most of the time. Prince Mukamara was in press coverage, and Kyle Fuller was eight yards off the line of scrimmage. I mean, there was a clear role for him in that sense that I think Fangio kind of had to adjust what he wanted in a cornerback. But I, I don't know. I wonder if he, if if he's a guy that's going to get any kind of big money deal, I completely let him go. I think people are putting a high priority on re-signing him and just giving him what he wants because he's a drafted player on this team. But he wasn't drafted by Ryan Pace and. I, I could see franchise tagging him and at least trying to give him another year if you feel confident in how he has progressed as a player. But, you know, like I look statistically, he was the most targeted cornerback in the NFL by PFF's numbers, 10 wow. more targets than any other corner in the league. And he did a good job only allowing about 51% of those to be caught. So it wasn't necessarily bad that he was targeted so much, but clearly he was the one that teams were looking at. But he also led cornerbacks in missed tackles. He had 21 missed tackles this year, seven more than second place. No one missed more than 14 besides Kyle Fuller, who missed 21 tackles. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of boomer bust with him. He made a lot of pass breakups. They're, by PFF's numbers, his 17 was most in the NFL. They they chart PDs purely on whether or not you make contact with the football. So as far as, like, swatting away passes, he was number one. But number one in missed tackles and also the most targeted guy, there's a lot of that. He's going to give up big plays. He's also going to make big plays for your defense. Is that consistent enough? And has he proven it for long enough? I I I would prefer to look elsewhere for cornerback help. But if I if I'm Ryan Pace and I'm not crazy about the draft and I'm not crazy about free agency, then I I wouldn't be opposed to resigning Fuller. I think I'm with you on the franchise deal because there's nobody else that's going to get away from us this year that's worthy of the. That's on worthy the, of the, the tag. punter, Pat O'Donnell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It's a, he's a punter, and <laughs> you know, but but you, you get what I'm saying. It's like there's nobody else that's gonna that that that's gonna be gone that we would miss more than Kyle Fuller. Of the guys that are leaving, Kyle Fuller is the guy that I most want to keep. But much like uh, an Alshon Jeffrey. Um, I would rather see him on a one-year franchise deal than give him the farm uh, and then have him let us down next year after he gets paid uh, kind of thing. I want him on the one-year prove-it franchise deal. And if he can do again in 2018 what he did this year, then you, you wouldn't really get any arguments out of me if the Bears want to give him that big money deal. But, you know, he comes out like a bat out of hell in 2014, his rookie season. 2015, not so great. And arthroscopic knee surgery keeps him out for all of 2016. And then he comes up pretty much out of nowhere in 2017 and look like somebody that we would have used the first round pick on. And, you know, it's just in those four years, we haven't seen enough, in my opinion, to give him that multi-year, uh, you know, big deal. It's, 
and, and especially with what he's probably going to command on the open market. I say we slap him with the franchise tag, make him play under that for you know a year, and then see about maybe what we want to do with him after that. Yeah, and I think part of the problem with people uh, evaluating Fuller is that because he started out so strong his rookie year and came on and impressed a lot of people, and then his most recent season was so strong, it it becomes easier in our minds to gloss over the in-between. That right. His 2015 season, it wasn't terrible, but he clearly regressed or at least wasn't as exciting as he was in his rookie year. And then, like you said, misses the entire season with a, a minor knee surgery and an injury that Vic Fangio basically called him out on, John Fox yes. basically called him out on. That's And we all thought, or most of us thought, Kyle Fuller might not even make the Bears roster right. at the beginning of this year. Right. Starts the season on the bench behind mm-hmm. Marcus Cooper, who looks terrible. I mean, clearly something changed with Fuller. Maybe even at the start of the regular season, something along the way between preseason and when he kind of took over because – I mean, it all happened so fast. And so I think people, because because he started strong in his rookie year and played strong this year, they think, well, Kyle Fuller has been this good player multiple times. But, tw- you know, six months ago, it's a very different conversation about Kyle Fuller. and He's yeah. a lot less proven than I think we like to think. Right. And that's that's why I'm extremely hesitant to just automatically say, well, you can't let this homegrown talent uh, get away. We got to give him the money and, and, and make him stay. It's just uh, no way. I, I, and- I don't believe that. And I think that homegrown talent idea is maybe a little bit overblown. Like I think there's this this idea that you should always re-sign homegrown talent purely because you drafted them and if, if they even play remotely well. But, you know, you look at like Akeem Hicks, you know, you, you sign him and now he's basically homegrown talent. I mean the Bears took a chance on that player. He, it played out very well and then they signed him to a contract extension. And, yes, he came in free agency, but, you know, if you can just do that, it doesn't matter – whether or not he was drafted or was where he was signed, it's about getting the right players and getting the right young players. And so, whether or not he's drafted or signed to me isn't that big of a deal. It's about making sure he is the right player and he's worth the investment. And that, to me, is a franchise tag. Absolutely. So, to wrap up the season real quick, the the second half of the year could not have been more disappointing than it was. You know, like we said, the the further we get from the Forty ers loss, the better it looks. But the Bears did something, and, and you're the stat guy. Uh, I heard, and I, I think maybe you can help me out if this is true or not, that the Bears were the first team or one of the first teams ever to score a special teams touchdown, not allow a touchdown, and win the turnover battle and still lose the game. Uh, that's what we did against San Francisco. Yeah, that's that sounds right. That, that sounds like a, one of the weird crazy stat combinations that that the Bears did but I mean at the same time you look at that game and they allowed the 49ers almost 400 yards of offense and put up like 150 of their own so right I mean as much as it was exceptional in in that way it was also kind of cut and dry like yeah I mean Jimmy Garoppolo tore you up a little bit yeah and then again with the self-inflicted wounds I mean what what is the fate of the game uh if that uh kick return or punt return that Cohen brought all the way back into 49er territory if that doesn't get called back and we have to march the field against the defense that pretty much has been kicking our ass the whole game long as opposed to them having their backs against the wall and maybe adding a field goal that would have been enough to win us the game another self-inflicted wound there and then the two wins that we have helped us complete the sweep of the AFC North so uh AFC North champs for 2017 
Um, you know, the Cincinnati game, which was our first non yeah, but victory of the year. And then the victory to, to, to not make a disastrous Christmas by beating uh, Cleveland uh, on, on Christmas Eve. And, uh, you know, the rest of it was just, you know, scratching my head, wondering where it all went wrong. And at least we kind of have the fortune now of knowing that's going to change. You know, like last year after three and 13, once the kind of new John Fox was coming back, you kind of, it, it didn't make you as excited for 2017. I mean, especially at the time when you didn't have a quarterback solution, you knew a lot of change was going to be coming in the offseason anyway. But like now I feel like we can truly be excited for free agency and the draft and next year and the year after that and feel like, okay, things are going to be different for real this time. It's not this, it's like, well, there's going to be a new quarterback and, you know, maybe things will be different. Now it's it's a real new coaching staff. It's going to be a different looking Bears team, a different team identity, different players at key positions on the roster. And maybe just maybe we'll, we'll take a little bit of that frustration back. And I'm hoping that the Rams and Eagles aren't setting us up to fail uh, for next year, or at least making us so excited that it's going to be a steep, you know, steep step right off the cliff um, if Trubisky doesn't answer in year two the way Wentz and Goff did. I mean, not even so much in wins and losses, but the progress. Those guys are legit NFL quarterbacks just on, you know, a year or two from now we'll be talking about how they're elite. Uh, you know, they're on the elite level with the way that they played this year and progressed from year one to year two. You know, and, and you and I both know that what's going to help Trubisky get there is who that next coach is going to be. Yeah, I mean, that's that's 100%. And I think... I think people are a little bit caught up on on getting a, an, an offensive guy, and that you don't, you know, you have to get that next bright mind. I mean, I, I don't know. I think I give Mitchell Trubisky maybe a little bit more credit in the sense that, like, I don't think he needs Sean McVay or Doug Peterson to truly be, you know, to truly take this team to where it needs to be. I mean, he needs a functional offensive coordinator, but I, I think. You know, you don't necessarily need this super genius out of nowhere. You just need someone who knows how to run a football team and someone who can put your players in the best position to be successful. And obviously, if you're naming an offensive guy to be a head coach, then you have more leverage to get the best guy for the position than a defensive coordinator might have having to compete for offensive coordinators. So I understand in that sense. But I I would not be terribly disappointed if the Bears hired Fangio or George Edwards from the Vikings or Steve Wilkes from the Carolina Panthers as long as they have that contingency plan for the quarterback. And it's been clear from what Ryan Pace said at the press conference that, you know, Trubisky might be involved in the head coaching search a little bit and that they're clearly building their team around this quarterback. So Pace isn't going to hire a defensive or special teams minded head coach unless he is 100% confident in the offensive staff that they're going to build anyway. So I, I don't get too caught up in making sure it's the next, you know, uh, Sean McVay or anything like that. So let's talk about that. What, um, who is on your wish list for head coach for the Bears? You know, I, I'm, I'm with much of the population that in an ideal world, it's Jim Harbaugh, but uh, it, that's not going to happen. I don't think anyone is betting on that happening right now. And even if it did, I don't necessarily know if that would be Chicago. So with him kind of eliminated, I I don't I don't necessarily have one guy that I'm like he is the guy above all else. But I I lean pretty favorably in the direction of Pat Shermer, the Vikings offensive coordinator. I just think he's done a phenomenal job with 
uh, a quarterback that doesn't necessarily or multiple quarterbacks that don't inspire a lot of confidence. And I like the coaches that make more out of less. I mean, we knew Carson Wentz is a talented quarterback. We knew Jared Goff was a talented quarterback. And so not that that discounts the incredible things that Sean McVay and Doug Peterson have done, but to me, that's almost less impressive than taking Case Keenum to a 13-3 and football team and, and leading your team to the playoffs. And so I, I like Shermer a lot. I, I'm not terribly opposed to Josh McDaniels, but he scares me a little bit. You know, and then you get to like the John D. Filippo and even Chiefs offensive coordinator Matt Nagy, two guys that they're in, they're intriguing, and I'm glad Ryan Pace is going to talk to them and at least listen to them. But there's a little bit of Mark Trestman there for me, just in the sense that they're very inexperienced. They haven't they haven't been involved with a lot of different situations and locker rooms, and it's going to be extremely difficult to determine how well they will lead men and. You know, I think when when Mark Tressman was hired, there were a lot of people, including myself, that thought he could be this, you know, dark horse head coach candidate who's going to come into the league, take everyone by storm, fix Jay Cutler, and lead the Bears to a Super Bowl. I mean, there was this idea that he was Sean McVay, and obviously that didn't work out, and and he was not prepared to lead an NFL team. But there was a, a lot of boomer bust to him, and I think there's a lot of boomer bust to John D. Filippo and Matt Nagy, even if. You know, maybe there's a lot of other characteristics about them that are not Tressman like. I just think situationally, it's that same amount of boomer bust there. See, this is why you and I get along so well, because the number one guy on my list, as far as wish list is concerned, is also Pat Shermer. And I was just talking to my dad about this the other day, and and my direct quote was, "He took the polished, he polished the turd that was Sam Bradford, and made him what he was last year without an offensive line." You know, mind you, the the paper doll that is Sam Bradford somehow survived all of 2016 after, you know, Shermer took over for North Turner when he quit in the middle of the season. And then this year, Case Keenum, a, you know, a career long journeyman. Now they're talking about having to pay that guy in order to get him to stay just in case, you know, Teddy Bridgewater isn't ready to take over the reins again uh, next season. And. Um, you know, the, the season that, that Case Keenum has, you have to look at a guy like Pat Shermer being the one to, to do that. And what makes me what makes me kind of hesitant about or not so much hesitant, but it just feels like it's happening again where like I wanted Bruce Arians, not Mark Tressman, when that head coaching change was being made because of what he did. Indianapolis taking the rookie and Andrew Luck and making him look like the next Peyton Manning that first year and I just kind of feel like that's what's happening again he did more with less like you said and I would love to see what he can do with a guy that's actually talented in Trubisky and what levels that they could get to with each other and yet because he's the guy I want he's not the guy we're going to get yeah and like the thing that that sells me more on Shermer than anything else is is that he did it twice. You know, it wasn't just like oh, he he got Sam Bradford to work and like you, then maybe you could point to it and be like, well, okay, maybe maybe something changed with Bradford and he changed his mechanics or he changed his diet and stayed healthier or XYZ he started understanding things better. But then he went and did it again with Case Keenum, yeah. a, a guy who had been on multiple teams and hadn't worked out and wasn't even a first-round talent like Sam Bradford. Like, we knew Bradford, like, when he was in college, was a great quarterback and still had a lot of talent there. But he turns around and does it again with Case Keenum, and that 
was what really sold me, I think, on Pat Shermer. And actually right now, the the Vegas betting odds for the Bears head coaching job, Shermer and Matt Nagy are currently the two favorites. They're both tied, I think, at 3-1 to one hmm. for the Bears. And then Josh McDaniels is is second or, I guess, third there if they're tied for first. McDaniels, Filippo, and then Todd Haley from the Steelers is also up there. So, you know, I, I would put Dave Tobe pretty high on my list as well, just a guy that, you know, we're all familiar with from Chicago and just absolutely deserves a head coaching job. And if he can just – if he can sell me on an offensive coordinator, then absolutely give him the job. I'm not concerned about turnover there because I think he's he's going to instill this sort of system and team identity. And, and between Trubisky's talent and that kind of leadership at the top, I think Tobe would do a phenomenal job. But to my knowledge – I don't believe the Bears have set up an interview with him as of yet. And I have the same reservations with, with Josh McDaniels. Mine is more of a um, a track record thing, and not really even so much having to do with Daniel, McDaniels' track record, more the track record of the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Can you name one guy from the Bill Belichick coaching tree that has been successful when he's struck out on his own? I mean, the, the closest thing I can think of is Bill O'Brien, and he's yep. been mediocre at best in Houston. I mean, they're even talking about, or there was talk at one point about getting rid of the guy after after this year. But, I mean, he's the closest thing to successful that any Bill Belichick coach has been when he struck out on his own. And, you know, it's just more about, you know, over and over again, Belichick proves to be the genius because anytime anybody leaves him, he continues to to flourish while everyone else flounders. And that's what I like about a potential Dave Tobe type hire. I think there's there's some Belichick in him, not in you know comparing him to a, a perhaps the greatest coach of all time, but in the sense that like the Bills, the Patriots have gone through what five offensive coordinators or so in Belichick's time there, and it doesn't seem to matter necessarily. I mean, you see the difference in between when there's different coordinators running the show, and even you know McDaniel's the first time versus McDaniel's now. There's a little bit of a difference there, but there's a certain identity to the New England Patriots on both sides of the ball, but even on offense, of like they're going to do things a certain way. They just don't make mistakes. They don't try and do too much. They get players that you've never heard of to have phenomenal seasons. Right. And so then it doesn't matter if you know uh, uh, Bill O'Brien gets hired away or Josh McDaniels gets hired away because they just keep coming back and they keep getting back up to it. Because, you know, Partially because they have a quarterback that's able to do so much on his own. And so if you're in Chicago feeling like you have a pretty talented quarterback and you can get a head coach that just kind of instills that identity and that mentality, you don't need your offensive coordinator to be the 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 most innovative genius guy. You just need him to put players in position to be successful. And more often than not, that's going to work out for you. That's the way the Patriots do it. And that's what's so appealing about getting a, like a Dave Tobe. And that was what made Doe Loggins look like the worst offensive coordinator in football this year is that you, you got the sense throughout the season and the inconsistencies where we'd be hot one week and then ice cold the next that Loggins had no idea how to use personnel, had no idea how to take advantage of game situations and, and down in distance and, you know, what to do with it. I mean, the conversation that you and I had at midseason about Adam Shaheen, where it's like, well, why haven't we seen more of Adam Shaheen? It's like, well, we've actually seen a lot of Adam Shaheen. It's just that 90% of the time he's on the field, we run the ball. So it's the, using Adam Shaheen that way. This guy that was, 
you know, that, I mean, granted it was a, a man amongst boys things in division two, but the guy that has all this athletic talent, he's six foot seven. He's got a, a you know, a great catch radius and everything. Why aren't we actually using him what we drafted him for? Cause we didn't draft him to block. We drafted him to be a pass catcher. And yet 90% of the time he's on the field, he's blocking for the run. And that's one of those things too, where I, I find it hard to believe that John Fox has taken the time out of his busy head coach schedule to be in Loggins' offense saying, hey, don't use Adam Shaheen, and if you're going to use Adam Shaheen, make sure he's only run blocking. You know that That's what I point to being a Dowell Loggins decision based on that tight end. And you would want a, a decent offensive coordinator, not even, not even your innovator young genius guy, but a decent offensive coordinator would skill, you know, draw up some simple plays to get Adam Shaheen the ball. Just take your best or take your quality young playmakers and get the ball in their hands and let them make plays. But instead, he's run blocking every week and, and not getting plays downfield. And, you know, like I said, to, to, you know, like we've been beating a, the horse dead. I mean, we've we've beat the meat off it. It's just bones at this point with, with the way that, you know, just couldn't figure out what the hell we were doing from one week to the next. And that being one of the most frustrating things about this team uh, this year. And then... Um, you know, looking forward to, to 2018 and, and, and just being basically being desperate for somebody to be completely different and to show some imagination, to show, you know, to, to, to try to figure out a way to use Cohen even when teams are keying on him. And like you said, to use Cohen to highlight other people. And the only other time that I, the only time that I know of that maybe that something like that was being employed was in the Cincinnati game where, you know, somebody brought it to my attention that, you know, I was complaining that I didn't see Dontrell Inman on the field against the Bengals. But instead, somebody, you know, told me that they had a chance to look at the All-22 and told me that Inman was in like 80% of the snaps, but that he was possibly being used as a decoy because Kendall Wright went nuts in that game. And one catch after another, no matter who they tried to cover him with, he's making catches. That's the one time. And our, that was our best offensive performance all year, 34 points, you know, uh, Cohen has got 80 yards on the ground. Uh, Howard's a buck 45. Trubisky is throwing the ball all over the place. Shaheen's scoring touchdowns, you know, and, and everything. And, you know, then we come out the week, the, the week after that uh, at, at Detroit, and it's, it was all over again. Like, it was, it's, like none of that translated from one game to the next. And that was the most head-scratching part is that they seem to figure it out. Like every once in a while you'd be those glances that, oh, well, maybe – Maybe just maybe this they're starting to change. Like even that Saints game before the bye, like they they were starting to do some some nice things at t- times in that game. I mean, Trubisky threw a couple interceptions that I didn't I think didn't let that reflect on the scoreboard as much. But right. you know, we started to see these little glimpses of it, and then for one reason or another, they they dial it back. They took the glove, put the gloves back on with Trubisky, and man, that was more frustrating than than just being bad. It was it was the fact that they they give you these little blumps. It's not just like oh, man, this guy can't score a single point any game. It's like, oh, well, we put up, what, 24 against the Detroit Lions. Let's keep that going, and then it completely goes away. Or then 33 against the Bengals. Let's keep that going, and then it's gone. Yeah, and it was uh, – and the thing about the Cincinnati game is that it should have been somewhere in the 40s because those two field goal drives that we had at one point should have been touchdown uh, drives. And, and instead, uh, you know, I'm sitting here biting my nails at halftime when it's – 12 to 7 when it should be like 21 to 7 and we go ahead and we blow them out uh, uh in the second half so you know but um as far as the the coaching uh search uh is concerned we we just uh 
you know, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I, I, I like Shermer. He's my favorite. Um, you know, I, I think he makes the most sense for us, not to mention we it's an area where we get strong and then weaken uh, division rival. And there's really not much to not much better. Nothing much better than that. Well, and real quick, too, as much as we've been railing on the coaching staff, I think it's at least worth not necessarily criticizing Ryan Pace. I mean, I think Ryan Pace has done a good job, but I mean, there are things on this team that he, I mean, we, we talked about his free agent misses a little bit, but even like the kicker position as a whole, clearly a failure on his end to not identify an issue with Connor Barth and, you know, and after losing or intentionally giving up Robbie Gold. And, you know, we talked about Deion Sims and a lot of the free agent misses and not necessarily solidifying the offensive line as much as you'd like to see and certainly not getting enough out of your receivers. There is reason to be at least critical of some of the moves Pace has made, but are you in agreement with me that generally approve of the job he's done? You know, that was a question I've been meaning to, to ask, is like where you, where you stand uh, on Pace, because it's a very divided fan base, I think, right now. Um, I don't think anybody's really up in arms that Pace still has a job, but I think where people uh, are kind of losing it is the fact that he got an extension on top of on keeping his job. He's sticking around, and I feel like that was more of a strategic thing for the Bears as far as their head coaching uh, search is concerned. Uh, so I'm really not hating on it too much. And I'm, my, my, my thoughts with, with Pace uh, have basically been the same, especially this year. I mean, this year is quintessential Ryan Pace where, you know, he's, he's, he's proven to be a great talent evaluator when it comes to the draft because I hated our draft class when we had our draft. When we, when we did the draft – I was immensely upset with our draft class. Number one, I didn't want Trubisky, and not not him in general. I didn't want a quarterback, period. Then we, we draft Shaheen. Great. And we, we seemed to double down on moves that we did in the offseason. We signed a tight end in Deion Sims. We signed a quarterback in Mike Glennon. So what are our top two picks? A quarterback and a tight end. Great. We have Jordan Howard. We draft another running back. And we get Eddie Jackson in the fourth round at 106 when we could have had Jamal Adams at number three. And, you know, it's just like there was nothing about the draft that I liked. I liked that we got Eddie Jackson and that he ended up being an enormous steal in the fourth round with the way that he played. But there was nothing about the draft class that I liked. And aside from our offensive lineman that spent the year on IR, everybody participated and everybody had moments where they shined and played well and showed why we drafted them and, and showed, you know, good graces towards the, the future. And then our our free agent, you know, we talked about that already. There wasn't one successful signing the whole season. Mike Glennon, which was the, who was the quote-unquote jewel of our free agent class, that was a balls-up disaster right there. Deion Sims, <laughs> you know, was a blocking tight end and nothing more. Uh, Marcus Wheaton was a flop. Marcus Cooper was was terrible you know prince of mukamura was the one guy that we got it right and we only signed him to a one-year deal so are we gonna end up keeping well you know you're right kendall Wright as well but i mean it's like we signed a ton of guys and you know all of them to these little you know nothing deals and and stuff so there's nothing that we can't go back on but where we were where we wanted to be and what we could have done in free agency and what we did that to me like that that just I, you know, I love what he's done with the draft. I think he's great at draft and, you know, picking, making sure, doing the best talent available thing and, and whatnot. But the free agency, that's where he's really, really, he really needs to step that up this offseason. He needs to hit a home run or two. 
Well, and in regard to his contract, I think people don't realize or don't think hard enough about how meaningless a head coach's contract and a GM's contract are. I mean, you've never seen a head coach or a GM, or rarely do you see either one have a situation where their contract runs out and they go to another team. I mean, they're always either fired or kept on their job based purely on how successful their team is. So, like, regardless of Pace's two-year contract extension, if he hires a head coach that tanks in two years, he's going to be fired. Or if he hires a head coach that's great, he's probably going to get another contract extension. So, like, the number of years that, that Ryan Pace gets is irrelevant, and the number of years that the new head coach gets is irrelevant because if they're good, they will get more years, and if they're bad, they will not finish out their contract. So I... I don't I, I don't get why people get too caught up in all that. Yeah, I think it, it's, you know, like I said, I think it was more of a strategic move on the Bears' part to any future, you know, head coaching candidates that, you know, we've extended our GM. He's going to be here for a while. So this is, you know, this is who you're going to be hand in hand with when you when, if you come in and join the organization. Your four-year mm-hmm. contract will mirror his, kind of like the – the John Lynch, uh, Kyle Shanahan deals, both six-year deals. They're there together from day one. They're you know attached to the hip with each other. That's what they're kind of. I think that's kind of what they're saying to any head coaching candidate that might be interested uh, in the Bears' job. That you know our GM is is a, is a guy that we believe in. He's going to be here for the next four years. And most coaches sign four or five-year deals when they when they join teams and such. So you know you guys will be here together. Well, and even that, like the 49ers and Shanahan and, and Lynch, they signed six-year deals. But if they both suck and tank and, and are terrible after four years, they're going to get fired. So, like, the ex- the extent and the number of years on that deal really doesn't matter. It's just a matter of looks and politics and appearing like there is continuity in the front office. Like you said, it's all about showing a head coach that there's stability in Chicago and, and mission accomplished. Exactly. So, I mean, like I said, I I thought it was more strategic than a pat on the back for a job well done uh, or anything like that because he's had his misses, that's for sure. I mean, it's our first-round picks haven't exactly been something to write home about. Um, You know, Kevin White. Let's talk about him for a second. Um, Where do you land on Kevin White? Because I'm of the the school of thought that uh, the most frustrating part about Kevin White's situation – is that even after all this time, we still have no idea what we have in this guy. Yeah, I'm I'm of the camp that the Bears would be stupid to like rely on him providing anything right. this season. And I don't I don't think we're gonna. I mean, I I think Ryan Pace is smart enough to realize that you know Kevin White is is you know toast or at least not worth investing in. I think you're gonna see the Bears build their wide receiver core as though he is not there. And if he can show up and be a legitimate wide receiver, then that's an added bonus to the group that you're already building. But it won't be like this year where they go in saying he and Meredith are going to be your top two guys and hope that everything else kind of falls into place. I think they're going to get their top few guys and White will enter camp as Kyle Fuller this year as you know number four or five guy. And if he can stay healthy and play well and, and work his way into a great role, then he might be looking at an NFL future still. But if not, then no harm done, no more risk involved, and you move on. Yeah, Kevin, talk about a kid that's screwed, man. I mean, here's a guy, after the first three years of his career, he's played less than five complete games. And he's most likely, if it hasn't been done already, I don't think they've had to make a, make a decision on his fifth-year option. There's no way in hell they're picking that up. And 
um, he's going to be in a position where he's going to have to play special teams. And, but the guy's made out of popsicle sticks. So the last thing that we want to do is put him on special teams where he's most likely to get hurt. So, I mean, this guy's kind of painted himself into a corner with his injury history to where he's going to have to do more to, to, to make the team this year. But I don't think the Bears are going to let him do it just because he hasn't proven that he can stay healthy when playing the position he was made for. And it would be so cool to see him be able to put it all together. And I, I really do feel bad for the guy. I do I mean, too, yeah. I mean, the kid had so much talent coming out. And, you know, we don't necessarily know, like, how genuinely great of a person he is. But he, he seems like a he seems like a decent kid who at least has his head in the right place. He's not, you know, reportedly out partying or all the time and not really focused on football. I mean, he's trying really hard to get on the field and play. And he can't help necessarily that he, his body's been unable to hold that. But I, I'm curious to see if and what changes with a new coaching staff, that how much of these injury issues that are affecting the rest of the team, how much of that is part of Kevin White's issue? Like, is it a is it a dietary thing? Is it a workout thing? Is it something that the Bears' previous head coaching, st- coaching staff and strength and conditioning group was doing wrong that made this team as a whole more injury-prone and negatively affected Kevin White, or is you know could could a new coaching staff fix those minor things that help increase Kevin's Kevin White's durability and actually get him on track, or is he just not built for this league? That's you know that's the perfect assessment there. I I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, and that's something that I that I wonder, um, you know, is that something that the Bears are going to to work on? Because after watching Ryan Pace's press conference. Uh, on Monday, uh, I was number one. I walked away very disappointed in Ryan Pace, um, the, the way that he was kind of just dodging questions and and things like that. I, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really care for his quote unquote performance in that press conference. But uh, you know, you know, because that was one of the things that he kind of talked around as far as to trying to answer that question. You know, it's all being evaluated or it's all being discussed when it came to. You know, is there anything that we're going to be doing different, uh, you know, or, or looking into as far as trying to keep these guys healthy? Because that is something that absolutely plagued the three years that John Fox was head coach of the team. Yeah, I I was disappointed in Ryan Pace's non-answers about right. that at the press conference. Like yeah. Brad Biggs from the Tribune was the one that asked the question. He's like, Ryan, you said last year you were going to change a bunch of stuff about injuries and now you got hurt. What's what's going on with that? And Ryan was basically like, yeah, you know, we did change some stuff, but injuries are still a big problem and, and we have to do something about it. Well, tell us what you're going to do about it. Don't just <laughs> tell us it's a problem. We know it's a problem. What are you going to do this, this time? And I wondered if that was his way of basically saying, listen, I'm not going to throw John Fox's coaching staff under the bus here because we just fired him and I feel bad. But like maybe that's his his way of saying, well, that we did make a change and you'll see if that was the right change. You know, like the, uh, the change was made that day in firing the coaching staff. That's what we're going to do to change the injuries. I don't know. Right. And, and um, that the, you know, the fact that he came out and then said that, um, you know, the, 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 um, the decision to fire Fox was made the night before. No, it wasn't. It no. was not. <laughs> you did was... not make that decision after they lost to Minnesota. That, Decision was made weeks ago, and you know it. Especially well, if you have a list of guys that you want exactly. to talk to, all ready to go. 
but you, you know you've been thinking about it more than just last night if you've already got it out there denying that he put in requests to talk about guys when the story had already broke that we were trying to get uh you know talk to mcdaniels or Shermer, you know and, and whoever uh, as far as you know being uh coming in for interviews and, and things like that no we haven't reached out to anybody we haven't made any requests yet yeah, yeah, yeah he's I, like dude i just read that <laughs> that you did what the hell are you talking about yeah, he, he's like, yeah, you know, we've already done extensive research on these candidates, background checks, all this stuff. Uh, uh, Ryan, when did you make the decision to fire Fox? Last night. You yeah. didn't, no. <laughs> no, you did not. Ex- weeks of research and extensive study. I mean, I, I'd be curious to know what week that started. I would guess it was somewhere around or nearly after the bye week when they were losing some of those games. But, yeah, I mean, that was a a, a lie he told right in front of everybody, and I was surprised – no one right at that press conference put the dots together and was like, hey, Ryan, uh, wait a minute. Yeah, you just said weeks in, of, of research and, and uh, you know, detective work on, on doing background on these guys. And uh, you just made the decision last night to fire you. So what the hell were you looking at these guys for if you hadn't been thinking about this for more than 12 hours? So, yeah. So I was I was very disappointed with the, the lack of, uh, you know, honesty. And I didn't really see the point of it. You know, the season is over, and, and it's not like we're asking him to name names uh, of the people that he's I- interested in, but don't sit here and tell me that you haven't already moved on. Don't tell me that you haven't done that. It's it's done already. Yeah, he was the married man on OkCupid or whatever, you know, Tinder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's just, he's still, he's doing the swiping, but when when did you make the decision to divorce your wife? Uh, yesterday, you know? Like, no. <laughs> yeah. No, you've been looking into it for a while, Chief. Don't lie. So, but yeah, you're absolutely right. So, um, just real quick, I mean, any anybody on the free agent market that you're interested in that you think the Bears have to go after this year? You know, I'm I'm not expecting Ryan Pace to do. You know, I, I'm expecting a similar off season to last year. You know, where there's a lot of big names out there, and you're like, oh man, so you can throw the money at you know Logan Ryan from the Patriots or any of these big guys at positions of needs, and they kind of sat back and. You know, they they got Mike Glennon and, and you know, Deion Sims and, and Quentin Demps, but these are all these sort of like B C tier receivers. Exactly. I think yeah. I think you're gonna see the Bears resign some of their own and try and keep things up that way and then kind of swing low at some of these guys. You know, I I there aren't there's not like anybody in particular that I'm like, yes, make sure you go get this guy, but there's it's like a, a small list of those names of like, okay, maybe I'd I'd kick the tires on a few of them, you know, like you know, even like a, a DJ Fluker on the offensive line, he's a, you know he was a, a first round pick by the the Chargers and spent the year in New York, and he's he's a talented lineman who hasn't really gotten to put it all together. Maybe you get him as a nice backup slash depth guy who can fill in to start and just kind of fill the little holes on your roster that way. I mean, I think big picture, the Bears need to overhaul the wide receiver position and the outside linebacker position. So I, I think you're going to see some some big at least under you know lower radar moves but some big turnover at those positions i think Prinell mcphee's gone willie young probably sticks around but in a much smaller role and you're trying to find that true complement for you know leonard floyd to trend and and just have willie young work into that instead of trying to be so relied on like he was this year right no i definitely uh definitely agree with that um who are you liking in the draft um where we got number eight so another top 10 pick our, our victory over cleveland heard us um don't get me started on that by the way i just because there's, <laughs> you there's would you would you have rather lost to the uh, winless cleveland browns this one fan that i have 
would have absolutely loved that because his his one comment on on the when I posted my show notification on Facebook was we did nothing but hurt ourselves for the future. Really? You wanted us to lose to Cleveland just so we could draft six instead of eight? I mean, that's what your answer is, you know, to finish four and 12 so we could have had the fifth pick instead of the eighth one. What difference is that going to make, honestly? Yeah, this isn't the NBA draft where, like, a few picks is huge and you can't, I don't know how much you follow the NBA, but, like, in the NBA, if you don't have a top five pick, you just can't get a very good player because there's only two rounds in the draft. But right. the NFL, six to eight, I mean, the Bears traded up two spots two years ago to get Leonard Floyd and traded up a spot last year. I mean, it's not a big deal to move a little bit away. So I, I agree with you 100% that, like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, so, but we're we're drafting eight. Um the ridiculously early mock drafts, uh, the, the ones that I've seen all have us taking a receiver. Um, one of them is uh, Kirk from Texas A&M. Another one is Ridley from, from Alabama. Uh, there's Sutton from SMU is another one that I've seen the Bears. Yeah, Courtney Sutton, to. yeah. Yeah, do you see the Bears going wide receiver at eight? Or do we have in Kevin White-itis on that one and we go offensive tackle? Because God knows we could use some help there too. I. I, you know, I haven't done uh, extensive draft work up to this point, so I'm not going to – I mean, I'll, I'll give you a few names, but I'm not going to put any too strong of, of takes out here. But we know Ryan Pace is going to take the athletic player that's a playmaker regardless of position. So that might be wide receiver. That might be outside linebacker again. It, it might be a defensive back. You know, I, I don't know exactly what to expect, and anyone claiming to know what Ryan Pace is going to do clearly is going to be wrong. I mean – based on what we've seen him do in the last couple of years. Same thing with the head coach. You know, I think in a few weeks here or within the week, we're going to hear some insider somewhere that's not Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, claim that, oh, yeah, the Bears are favoring this head coach candidate, and no one's going to know. But in, in terms of guys in this draft that I keep an eye on, Bradley Chubb, he's an, he's an edge rusher from North Carolina State, just a big, powerful guy. He's kind of like what people want Pernell McPhee to be when healthy, like, if you take McPhee and add functioning knees and <laughs> perhaps even a little bit stronger against the run and make him, you know, what, 22 years old, that's kind of what you're getting from Chubb. You know, just a, a guy that I think would be a great complement for, for Leonard Floyd to just be a little bit of a different skill set, but still a, a well-rounded edge defender would be nice there. And Josh Jackson, the cornerback from Iowa, he's probably going to end up being the top cornerback in this draft. I don't have a good feel yet whether he's a top 10 guy, like I, like I said, I haven't watched a lot of tape on him, but led the, led the country in interceptions, can do a little bit of slot and outside and just kind of rove around the defense. He had like three interceptions against Ohio State, including a one-handed interception diving into the end zone. He had a bunch of pick sixes this year. Just the definition of athletic playmaker in the secondary, that's what Ryan Pace likes, and that's why I think Josh Jackson is one that could be in that conversation. Okay, okay. I like it. I like it. So... Anyway, I think that's um, pretty much all we have. I mean, we have the schedule for next year. Obviously, we don't know what the schedule is, but we know who it is. We got the NFC West and the AFC East next season. Oh, boy. Yeah. We have the the Patriots and the Jets at home, the Dolphins and the Bills on the road, and in the NFC West, we're finally going to San Francisco. So we break that streak of three straight years in, in Chicago. We're going to San Francisco and and L.A., I think, and then we're home for the we're home for um, Seattle, Arizona, Arizona, and Seattle. Correct. Yeah, because yeah. the last time, no, I think we're at Arizona. 
because we we had Arizona in Chicago in 2015. So um, so we're at Arizona. So we're at, at San Francisco and Arizona, home for L.A. and um, Seattle. So, and then we have the Giants and the Buccaneers again. Those are the same place finishes. I forget which one is which. I think we're on. We're at we're at New York, home for Tampa Bay. So at least we don't have to go down to Tampa uh, again. And then obviously we have our NFC North uh, rivals, who I'd like to see us win some of those games next year. That would be nice. Uh, nice, <laughs> nice change of pace. No pun intended. Um, First goal. Beat the Green Bay Packers. Yes, I, I mean maybe that should be beat the Minnesota Vikings the way maybe. they've been playing. But but maybe. you know if Pat Shermer is your head coach, maybe that's maybe that's a little bit more poignant. Absolutely, <laughs> that's that's a little bit more poignant. I I agree one hundred percent. So, you know that's the schedule for next year. We're at minute we're at Miami at Buffalo, uh, home for New England and and the Jets, and you know hopefully we can keep the Patriots under fifty this time. That would be nice. Something to shoot for. Yeah, to be able to beat Tom Brady in his last trip to to Soldier Field, because I doubt, even though he plans on playing forever, I doubt that he'll still be in the league in 2026 when the Patriots make their way back to Chicago again. So, um, you know, because that would only be like, what, his 27th year in the league if he's still playing uh, at that point. So, uh, yeah, this will be our last chance to get our hands on Brady in, in Soldier Field. I'd like to see us do something positive with it. Well, you're, you're, I was going to say you're overlooking the 2018 Super Bowl when they could meet there, but that wouldn't be a soldier field, you're right. Right, so there you go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, 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 I am more optimistic about 2018 than I was about 2017, that's for sure, because my excitement about 2017 diminished as we got closer uh, to the year. You know, it's like we brought John Fox back. I could see why, but I wasn't a fan. Then the terrible free agency period where we signed basically no one. And then the draft was not at all what I was looking for. And then, you know, the, the injury started in training camp with Kyle Long and Marcus Wheaton. Cam Meredith goes down in the dress rehearsal game. And then it all just kind of tumbles from from there. And then we get our hopes way up after that Atlanta game. Holy crap, dude, we were so competitive. We almost beat them, you know, one play away from beating the 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 Falcons and then we go to Tampa Bay and we get slaughtered by the the Buccaneers. And that's a loss. The further we got away from the worse it looks because that was one of only 5 victories for Tampa Bay this year. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was one at the beginning of the year too. When you looked at the schedule, and it was like, oh, that's going to be a really tough game. Tampa Bay could be really good this year. So at the time when you got blown out by it, it was like, okay, they, they it was not good, but there were worse teams to get blown out by. So right. yeah, but but yeah, then everything went completely gone in in Tampa Bay and looked absolutely terrible now. Yeah. So I mean, it's just um, yeah. But I am looking forward to 2018. I'm excited about who our head coach. Uh, might be especially the guy that I that I like has is getting an interview so he'll at least have a shot at the job uh, this time and um, you know hopefully Ryan Pace gets his head screwed on straight when it comes to free agency and you know I'm fairly confident in what he can do uh, in the draft and then of course we also have that can the Bears replicate what Philly and Los Angeles did with their second year quarterbacks can we do that with Trubisky can the head coach surround Trubisky no matter who it is like you said whether it's Shermer and he's you know going to be the the guru for the quarterback or if it's Dave Tobe and he brings somebody in that can handle uh, Trubisky for us and, and things like that or if it's Wilkes or Edwards or whatever the defensive coordinator if they bring a good offensive mind 
with them, whoever it is. Can we, you know, help Trubisky make the leap in year two that Philadelphia and L.A. enjoyed with Goff uh, and Wentz? Um, you know, in, in 2017, because both of those guys had rookie years that very much mirrored what Trubisky did this year. And then, you know, very similar in the offenses that very little to no offensive weapons surrounding this quarterback, but he still showed some flashes in year two. They went out and made some moves. Both teams did revamp their offensive, you know, their wide receiver position and things like that added to the running backs that were there and, and what have you. And boom, their division champs and going to the playoffs can the Bears do something similar in 2018? I think it's exciting to think that it's possible. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. And and, and one last thing I, I want to leave you and your listeners with about Pat Shermer is if you go to his Wikipedia page when you get a chance and just look at the picture of him that's there, it was from the time when he's with the Cleveland Browns. There's something particularly notable about the picture that just makes me laugh every single time. And I won't spoil the surprise, but I just urge everyone to go to Pat Shermer's Wikipedia page and look at the picture because it's 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 a tight shirt and a chilly day. <laughs> oh my God. I can just imagine. <laughs> that is how we're going to end this, Lauren. Thank you so much uh for giving us that image. Um if you're all having the same image in your head that I'm having right now. But um you know, it's it's always awesome to have you on the show. We look forward to uh, to having you back on. We'll probably uh, you know talk to you a time or two during the the off season. Talk about the free agency and the draft and, uh, and and what have you. And if if nothing else, we'll always have the preview, the mid season, and the year in review next year as well. All right. Definitely looking forward to it. I have a blast every single time, and it, it's always a good time. So I appreciate it. Are you going to be doing your show during the off season? Oh, yeah, 100%. Lockdown Bears, maybe not quite five days a week like we did in season, but shooting for a solid three and maybe a little bit more length. All right, sounds good, Sound good. So where you, where can we find that? Um, we got a website, LockdownBears.com, and I'm sure the podcast is everywhere that your listeners are currently listening to this podcast, so right. there's plenty of ways to find it. Absolutely. So Lauren, uh, Lauren Cox, BearsWire.com, LockedOnBears.com, and the Locked On Bears podcast. Thanks so much. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again real soon. My pleasure. Always enjoy having Lauren on the show. Uh, we always have a great talk uh, when he's uh, when he's on. Look forward to having him back on for whatever reason. Uh, in 2018, maybe see if we can sneak him on during the the free agency review, or uh, you know maybe the draft review, that kind of thing, just to have him back on the show because I enjoy having him so much. So uh, feel free to go ahead and and listen to his show, Locked On Bears, as he said uh, there in the interview that uh, the show will be on a couple times uh, a couple times a week during the off season and see what uh, what insight and commentary he can provide um, while the CBR is on its. Uh, on its hiatus uh, during the uh, during the off season, I wish I could do that. I wish I could dig up, you know, analysis and commentary where I could just keep doing the show uh, year round like that. I just uh, <laughs> I just feel like I'd be talking about the same stuff over and over again. So I don't know. Maybe one of these years we'll give it a try and turn it into a you know a once a week thing during the off season at some point. Uh, don't think I'm feeling that ambitious this off season. However, especially with 
You know, maybe we'll do that after a good year when the Bears make the playoffs and we have the next year to look forward to and and so on and so forth. There's so on so much uncertainty and everything surrounding the Bears at this moment. Who's the head coach going to be? Is it going to be the right guy? Can Pace finally hit some home runs in free agency? How will the next draft class turn out? That kind of thing. There's just a little too many questions uh, this year. I don't want to fill up the offseason with uh, 20 episodes of me bitching <laughs> between now and uh, the free agency period and the draft and so on and so forth. So, Plus, I, you know, like I said, I feel like I'd be talking about the same stuff over and over again. So maybe the Bears make the playoffs in 2018 and we'll get ambitious in 2019. And see what we can come back and, and do on a week-to-week basis kind of thing. Break down position groups and stuff like that. So maybe. We'll see. Knock on wood. See what that happens for next year. So um, anyway, here we are with the 2017 year in review bear up and bear down list. And as you might have guessed, there are quite a few names on it. So... Um, this wasn't really in any particular order. I just kind of pulled up the Bears roster and went down it numerically. So, I mean, if, if I read it numerically, it would start with Mike Nugent and end with Lamar Houston. Mike Nugent wore number one, Houston wore 99, and kind of went through it that way. So it wasn't really so much how I like to pair them up sometimes. This guy got a bear up and that one got a bear down, that kind of thing. So... Um, oddly, the bear up list is much longer than the bear down list. So let's just start there with the bear downs. And, uh, first one that came to mind, believe it or not, was Connor Barth. I mean, the guy, uh, from the moment he replaced, um, uh, Robbie Gold, you know, the the guy pretty much, you can sum up his career as the kicker for the bears as that rebound girlfriend. You know, you, you had that woman that you had that really long relationship with and, you know, Things were special and it just didn't work out. And then you dated this one chick and this wasn't really, number one, it wasn't the same. It wasn't as good. And in the end, you held on to her a lot longer than you should have before you moved on to the next one. And that would be Connor Barth in a, in a you know, in a really odd analogy. But that's what Connor Barth was. You know, we had that really long and successful relationship with Robbie Gold. Things just kind of fell apart there at the end. And, uh, you know, the next one that we went and scooped up, wasn't as good, you know, made us look bad at times and, you know, cost us and every now and then. And then, you know, just finally it was, uh, you know, put one behind the ear and just get it over with kind of thing. When we finally cut Barth after the Detroit game, when he missed a field goal where the ball landed in a different zip code uh, than the uprights. So there's how we're kicking off the bear down list is with Connor Barth. The next one, I don't think this is going to surprise anybody. Mike Glennon. Bear down to Mike Glennon. Good God, man. Uh, four touchdowns, five interceptions. That's statistically not too much of a nightmare. It's just that he really did bunch all of that together uh, in just four games. Uh, not to mention just overall looking like a deer in headlights pretty much every moment he was out there. Anytime that went back to pass, uh, if you, I mean, honestly, I don't know what the hell was going on on the offense. Well, I mean, all season in general, but. You know, you kind of felt like Mike Glennon was a rookie as well because the offense didn't change when Trubisky came in uh, in in week number five. We're still looking at these dump off passes, these, you know, short slant routes and things like that. But whenever the pocket would 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 collapse or anything like that, Glennon just looked like he had no clue what to do and and how to get the job done. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't in the Bears plans for Trubisky to play pretty much at all this year. 
And Mike Glennon shoved that plan into fast forward violently with the way that he played. And you guys know, if you've been listening since the beginning of the season, I fought that kicking and screaming because the number one reason I didn't want the Bears to draft a quarterback in 2017, 2017, because we had no supporting cast to help the rookie quarterback. You know, it's like I understand franchises like to build their teams around the quarterback and so on and so forth. It's just that we had nothing going into 2017 and we proved that even after I mean we had less than nothing because we lost Kevin White and Cam Meredith right away you know in preseason and week one Cam Meredith Kevin White the number one and number two receivers going in uh to the offseason gone uh year-ending uh injuries for both of them and then we're working with with the, you know cast-offs and you know Kendall Wright and Marcus Wheaton uh we're supposed to be role players not key contributors and you know, guys like Tanner Gentry and Trey McBride and, and things like that, guys that, I mean, it was just one disaster after another. So that's sort of in Glennon's favor. However, Glennon was the pro. That's what we brought him here for. He was the one that had success when he was playing on crappy Tampa Bay Buccaneers teams, the ones that finished, you know, 2-14 and 14 that earned them the number one pick that landed him, Jameis Winston. He was on those teams throwing 30 touchdowns and only 15 interceptions and you know, things like that. So that's why Glennon was appealing for the 2017 Bears. And he could not have worked out any worse than he did, honestly. Um, you know, the one game that we did win, we attributed to 230 rushing yards between Cohen and Howard and having almost nothing to do with Glennon uh, being a contributor in that one. As a matter of fact, he almost threw an interception at the, at the end. It almost cost us the damn game. So definite bear down to Mike Glennon. Um, I hope you saved most of the money you got from the Bears because that's the only real paycheck you're getting uh, in your NFL career. I mean, you're a quarterback, so you're still going to make bank, but you ain't making 16 mil a year go forward from there. Uh, Bear down, I had to do it. Kevin White, you know, just, you know, we talked about him briefly uh, with Lauren. Where do we sit with this guy? Where does he sit with us? Uh, but he was absolutely right. The Bears need to move on as though Kevin White is not in their plans because that's basically what's happened. We have moved on without Kevin White, even though he's been in our plans 2018. You know, if he plays well, great. If he doesn't, that's okay. We weren't planning on using him anyway. So I think Kevin White's the new Kyle Fuller going into this year. There's no way the Bears are going to pick up his fifth option. So this year coming up is going to be his fourth and final uh, as you know, as opposed to... You know, his options being Canada and the Arena League. Will it be other NFL teams that are going to throw some money at him because he showed some promise and some skills or showed the skills that got him drafted seventh overall in 2015? Is that what Kevin White's going to be? I hope for his sake and the Bears' sake, quite frankly, I hope it is. I hope the Bears have, uh, you know, a decision to make at the end of 2018 as opposed to that decision making itself as it has in the first three years of Kevin White's career. But, you know, you can't blame a guy for getting hurt, but... You know, I don't have to be happy about it. And, uh, you know, Kevin White, three years in a row, he's played less than five complete games. And we've needed a wide receiver that whole time. And that's what he was drafted to be. And he has let us down tremendously there. Speaking of wide receivers that let us down, Marcus Wheaton, bear down to you. Um, I don't think we'll, that's all I'm going to say about Marcus Wheaton. Screw that guy. Three catches for $6 million. Definitely got our money's worth there. Uh, Bear down to Quentin Demps. 
you know, I don't know. Maybe actually I should take him off. Make Let's make him an honorable mention for a bear down because he only played in two and a half games. He got hurt in the Pittsburgh game and him getting hurt ended up being a good thing because it forced Adrian Amos into duty and Amos had a fantastic year. So let's make him an honorable mention because he played horribly in those first three games. But, um, you know, we'll take him. We'll take him off the, the, the bear down list. We'll make him an honorable bear down or honorable mention bear down because of uh, he, he was terrible in those first three games. Uh, bear down Marcus Cooper. Don't even think I have to go into why on that one. Bear down to Michael Burton. Uh, you guys don't know who that is. Good for you. Uh, that's our fullback. And the guy did more damage than anything else. Probably one of the worst lead blockers I have ever seen. A running back half. I mean, um, for any of you guys that listen to the Bears Barroom uh, uh, podcast, it's the guy, Dr. Draft Dr. Phil, something like that. I follow him on Twitter, and he's always showing uh, clips of Bears and uh, Bears plays and, and stuff like that. And this guy <laughs> had a real hard on for Michael Burton. And as far as him being terrible and constantly show, because it basically was just showing the incompetence of the coaching staff. And how, uh, you know, they keep putting him out there regardless of the fact of what this guy does. And he was absolutely right. I mean, you go back and you look at these clips and you see, um, you know, Jordan Howard getting tackled by the guy that blocked. Or Burton went out and blocked nobody and Tariq Cohen had to make this play by himself. Or, you know, if Burton makes this block, Jordan Howard walks into the end zone, that kind of thing. And the guy was, all he did, number one, he took up a roster spot. He stole whatever money he made, which wouldn't have been much, but he stole every penny of it, and he was unproductive, and <laughs> four carries for nine yards and had a ridiculous, like, what? why did we give him the ball on third and one against Minnesota? All he did was run straight into his center's back and then chop his feet for a few seconds before somebody tackled him, and that's all that happened there. That was the perfect Michael Burton play, because that's exactly what the guy did for us. Nothing. He gained nothing on that play. He did nothing for the Bears in 2017. So good riddance to you. I hope that whoever we bring in, number one, as much as I love old school football with Sweetness and Matt Sui or, uh, or even Neil Anderson and Brad Muster, the whole running back, fullback uh, tandem and whatnot, those days in the NFL are over. So we don't need a fullback. Okay, We got Jordan Howard. Uh, back there and we did more we had more success like running out of the shotgun than we did out of the I formation or, or what have you it's just uh let's not have a fullback let's do the h-back thing putting you know Deion sims can block put him back there and run behind him or something like that let's just not do the fullback thing uh next year so bear down to michael burton bear down to jarrell freeman and not because he got hurt that doesn't help but just because he pretty much PED'd his way out of Chicago. I mean, he got busted for PEDs last year, ended up losing four games when we really could have used him. And he was a beast when he was on the field. First game of the year against Atlanta, he leads the team in tackles and he tore his pectoral muscle like the first play, literally like the first play of the game, played like an animal for the for the entire 60 minutes. Uh, we almost win that one, but he was hurt for the season. So that was unfortunate. And then a few weeks later, it turns out he got busted for PED, suspended for 10 games now. Uh, this happened at midseason, so he was suspended on IR for the f- last eight games of the season. But he's also suspended for the first two, two, first two games of next season. 
and he only signed a three-year contract with the Bears. This was year number two. So will they bear, Will the Bears bring him back next year? Because his, uh, his replacement, Nick Kwiatkowski, missed some time with a similar injury, but when he was healthy and on the field, I didn't really miss Darrell Freeman this year, to be honest with you. So I think Freeman's fate might be sealed. And, uh, you know, bear down for the PEDs, not for getting hurt, but bear down for getting busted again. Come on, dude. I mean, it just seems so irresponsible. These guys have all the resources in the world to check and see if what they're taking is legal. If this is what's going to get popped, is this a banned substance by the league? Is it looked upon as a performance enhancer? You guys have all the resources there. It's not like the NFL is hiding this list from anybody. Get out there, find out what you're taking, find out what's in it. And if you don't know, they have the resources you can call and find out. Hey, I got this stuff. It's over the counter. Here's what it's called. Is it any good? Should I be taking this? Should I not? So on and so forth. So, so many of these guys get busted for for being stupid or for for and they and they they uh, they plead ignorance when this happens. I mean, remember when Jim Miller was our quarterback back in what 2000 something like that? He he comes off the bench. He's he's doing really well for us. The Bears actually playing well with Jim Miller as the quarterback, and then he got popped for PEDs the last four games of the season because his regular medication or something wasn't there, so he went to GNC, got some stuff off the counter, and got popped for it, and the Bears had to play the last four games without him, and I think we lost them all. And, uh, you know, when he was playing well and we finally found a quarterback we could play with, Jim Miller is on the sidelines at home watching the games because he took some bad stuff that he wasn't supposed to take and didn't check to see if he was supposed to be taking it. So... Uh, that's why Jarrell Freeman makes a list. Uh, bear down to Bobby Massey. He's uh, just finished year two of a three-year deal. Hopefully your replacement is out there somewhere because I'm tired of talking about you. And bear down to Deion Sims. $6 million for what this year? You know, honestly. I, I don't know. So anyway, bear down to him. And then finally, bear down to Pernell McPhee. Uh, I think we may have seen... Uh, the end of Pernell McPhee when he was put on injured reserve this year. Uh, he's got a pretty big cap number, I think somewhere in the in the area of 7 to $8 million for next season for a pass rusher that can't stay healthy and when he does is ineffective. So, you know, as, as good as an emotional leader and a locker room guy as Pernell McPhee is, I'm thinking maybe he doesn't come back next year without a pay cut. And that would just, that's what I would do if I was uh, Ryan Pace. You want to come back? You want to play for us? Great. Let's cut your salary in half and uh, you know, pay you what you're making is <laughs> pay you what you're worth instead of keeping you know paying you what you're actually making. It's it's not fair to the franchise. So those are the bear downs. Bear up. Let's move on to this list. A lot more guys on this list um, in no particular order. Let's go bear up to Mike Nugent. We started the bear downs with a kicker. Let's go bear up to Mike Nugent. Was only on the team for the last what like four or five games. But like I said, watching Mike Nugent kick, the guy looks like a kicker. You know, it, it, honestly, it looked effortless. You just had to make sure he aimed it right. But everything looked like, you know, perfect technique. Boom, it's through the uprights and so on and so forth. We're perfect. Where it was like every kick that Connor Barth made seemed like it was just this unbelievable effort this guy had to make in order to put it through the uprights. So uh, bear up to Mike Nugent. Hopefully, um, you know, if he doesn't come back, I hope he does, actually. The way he looked, I think he should come back. You know, give him a shot. Bring him back to training camp, at least. Let him try to make the team. Uh, bear up to Kendall Wright, one of the one of the two free agent acquisitions that worked out for the Bears uh, this year. But he's only on a one-year deal. Will the Bears bring him back? Is he in the plans of who our next head coach is going to be? Uh, bear up to Pat O'Donnell, one of the few consistent players we had on the team 
this year. And he threw a touchdown pass against the Vikings on Monday Night Football. So that's cool. Uh, bear up Dontrell Inman. He was productive when we used him. Actually had a decent game uh, against Minnesota in the finale. And, uh, you know, maybe he should be more of an honorable mention. Let's put him on that list. The honorable mention uh, for bear ups because his productivity wasn't there. But I, I think I actually tried to put him on the list because it wasn't his fault that he wasn't productive. It's not like we tried to get him involved and he kept dropping the ball or something like that, or he wasn't open or anything. It just, Dole Loggins. Oh, crap. That's who I forgot. Bear down. Dole Loggins. John Fox. Good riddance to you both. And for some reason, Dole Loggins is now the offensive coordinator of the Dolphins. So, uh, you know, I, I hope Adam Gase keeps calling the plays. Uh, but Dole Loggins, uh, he's not the Bears' problem anymore. Regardless, I mean, uh, you know, we 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 fired him, but uh, boy, he got a job quick. I don't know what that says. Honestly, I don't. I mean, thing, I'm I'm hoping for for his sake, it, it's more about Adam Gase understands the restrictions he had under John Fox or something. But yeah, he's quickly joined a new staff and he's back down in Miami with uh, reunited with Adam Gase as the offensive coordinator of the Dolphins. So. Take that for what you will. And then John Fox, I was very happy, very excited when you got hired. And um, that did not work out. So good riddance to you, sir. Moving on, we have, uh, well, let's stick with coaches. Bear up to Vic Fangio, bear up to Jeff Rogers. Had to use some imagination, uh, our special teams coordinator, to get us some points this year. And a special bear up to Vic Fangio, who got interviewed for the head job and who I'm hearing rumors that the Bears are basically going to do whatever they can to keep Fangio on as defensive coordinator. So he might be the, you know, the Buddy Ryan that, uh, you know, he sticks with the team even after his head coach got fired. So hopefully that works out. I'd be very happy if we could keep on Vic Fangio and, and keep the defense, you know, have some consistency there because it definitely is the offense that needs the shot in the arm uh, and, a, and a fresh new uh, set of eyes uh, on it. So... Uh, bear up to those guys, and uh, hopefully we definitely get uh, Fangio back, and I wouldn't be opposed to to Jeff Rogers. So uh, anyway, where were we? Uh, bear up, Kyle Fuller. Had to give it to you. You know, you 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 came on strong in in relief duty of the terrible Marcus Cooper. Um, the second half of the season did not start off well, but you you finished strong definitely. Uh, had an outstanding game against Cleveland. And that normally wouldn't sound impressive if it wasn't Josh Gordon that you were left to cover all day long, which you were. And basically you shut him down uh, for the entire football game. That's no small uh, task. Uh, bear up to Prince of Mukamura, the other 2017 free agent acquisition that actually uh, worked out well for us. Hopefully uh, he only signed a one-year deal with the Bears, but he did say that he was looking for a home, was tired of bouncing around because this was his third team in three years. His la the last year of his rookie contract with the Giants, the one-year deal he signed with Jacksonville, and now a one-year deal with the Bears. I think he's hoping to stick around, and, and I hope that we keep him. We could use some stability at the position, that's for sure. Uh, bear up to um, Tariq Cohen. How could you not? You know, I don't really even need to go into why. The kid's special. He just is. We talked about him coming into the season. You know, his size, his, you know, his shiftiness, his speed, his, you know, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Elusiveness. That's it. Elusiveness, um, thinking that he would be the Darren Sproles. And he definitely fit that role uh, tremendously. It's not his fault that his offensive coordinator and his offensive coaching staff lacked the imagination to find a way to get him the football 
um, when other defenses were keying in on him. You know, the best offensive minds figure out a way to do that, even if you're just using him as a decoy. Um, you know, you use him as a decoy enough, they'll start focusing on the guy that you're decoying him for, therefore leaving the guy that you want to have the ball open eventually. You know, guys like Sean Payton and whatnot, they, they can figure out how to do that. And um, hopefully the next guy that we have will be able to do that because Tariq Cohen's not going to be a secret going into 2018 or ever again for that matter. And, uh, you know, people are going to be game planning to stop him. And hopefully we have a plan to counteract that and uh, make him more useful and a bigger part of the offense in 2018 and beyond. Bear up to Adrian Amos. Way to step up, Chief. Fantastic job. You know, we thought that uh, thought you were another one and done free, you know, safety draft choice bust for the Bears. You know, we've got a bunch of Al Alphalavas and, you know, guys that came in and had tremendous rookie seasons. And then you basically never heard from him again. We're off the team in in two years. He came in like a beast in 2015, was somewhat of a ghost in 2016, in and out of the lineup and all that kind of stuff. Came in to relieve uh, Quentin Demps and has been a monster for us this year. With with the hit, I mean, playing like a bear safety, you know, when, like you know that he would. A Dave Dewerson type guy that was always making the big hits and always seemed to be around the ball and, and, and whatnot. And uh, if we can get a, a lot more of that, Major Namos going forward, you know, I'm looking forward to having him on the team. Paired up with this guy, Eddie Jackson. Outstanding rookie season uh, for Eddie Jackson. Uh, fulfilled the role that uh, we hoped that he would. And you guys know how badly I wanted Jamal Adams, the the safety out of LSU, when we had that number three pick. And, um, you know, my backhanded, condescending, uh, knee-jerk reaction to the Eddie Jackson pick is like, well, we finally got a safety, but only about 106 spots from where I actually wanted us to draft one. And it turns out it was another SEC safety that worked out for us just fine. And he was uh, amazing. He single-handedly beat the Carolina Panthers. Uh, week number seven, our only NFC victory uh, this year. We were 1-11 against the NFC. 4-0 against our AFC opponents in the AFC North this year. Awesome. Um, bear up to Jordan Howard. Sixth leading rusher in the NFL. And I was looking the other day. He was only two yards behind the number five guy. So if uh, he doesn't get slathered with a bunch of those losses towards the end of the season... He might be a little bit higher on that overall rushing list uh, this year. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, you kind of have to think 1,100 yards uh, for his second season. The the first Bear running back, and we've got – that's quite a list, just to say that out loud. Um, Walter Payton, Gail Sayers, Neil Anderson, Matt Forte, you know, it's a pretty damn good list. And we're not even talking about those guys that played back in, the, you know, the 40s and such like that, but – you know, to be the only one to rush for a thousand yards in your first two seasons, that's pretty amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Jordan Howard, the only one to do that. Um, no sophomore slump for him, and um, not not too far behind. Man, like about two hundred yards less than he did last year because he had over thirteen hundred yards last year. Second leading rusher, still in the top ten. Um, you know, even when he had eight nine men in the box and the Bears were running into a brick wall just about every play. Jordan Howard was getting it done. So big bear up to him. And I would actually go so far as to call him the MVP of the team this year. Hopefully that's something we can shift over to this guy, Mitchell Trubisky. Bear up to Mitch. Um, Statistically, it's not impressive, but we all know that wasn't exactly your fault. 
Um, you looked like the guy that we picked at number two or a guy that we would pick at number two. I think the future of the position for the Bears is definitely bright. And hopefully the Bears can make the moves and get him the supporting cast where he can make the year, the jump from year one to year two like the rest of the league has gotten to see Jordan, or excuse me, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz enjoy along with the success that came with it. You know, 11 wins for... Um, 11 wins for Los Angeles, uh, 13 wins for the Philadelphia Eagles, the number one and number four seeds in the playoffs. And uh, we get to see Goff, I think, tomorrow? Tomorrow, Saturday, I think, he's playing the Falcons uh, in the first round of the playoffs, uh, in the wild card round tomorrow. So bear up to Trubisky. The future does look bright. And like I said, there's just something about him. He was the one that I wanted. I didn't want Deshaun Watson. That guy's got Vince Young written all over him. In my opinion, I figured that that once that, uh, you know, the NFL gets some tape on him, Deshaun Watson may not be as special as he was when he came out in his rookie season. I hope for his sake that's not true. I hope for his sake that I'm wrong about that. But that's why I didn't want Deshaun Watson. Everyone was falling over themselves for the Bears to go get Deshaun Watson. I don't want any having any anything to do with that. And uh, Trubisky was the guy that I wanted uh, going into it. And it turns out that's who the Bears wanted as well. It's like, if we have to pick a quarterback, that's the one I want. He's the one we, one we got. And that's working out okay so far. So uh, hopefully we get the guy some support, get some more wins, and we can, uh, we can have ourselves a staple of the NFL and the next Aaron Rodgers in our division. Bear up to Nick Witkowski. Probably going to be our starter going into the season next year alongside this guy, Danny Trevathan. Bear up to him. Probably our comeback player of the year you want to talk about it being <clears throat> Cal Fuller maybe an argument can be made for that uh I would I would say it's it's slam dunk Dan Trevathan if he hadn't gotten hurt and missed those games that calf injury uh for a while uh so I guess you know maybe it should be Kyle Fuller um with his overall level of play but um I'd, I I like Danny Trevathan more to be honest with you but um you know those are probably going to be our inside linebackers next year, Kwiatkowski and, and uh, Trevathan. Um, and then uh, bear up to Cody Whitehair and Charles Leno. Uh, not so much for his play because Charles Leno never really been a fan, but I got to give the guy credit. He hasn't missed a snap since he took over the job in 2015. He played all like, I think Lauren Cox had a post about it on, on Twitter the other day. Um, over a thousand snaps in 2016, he played every single one. Uh, 980 something snaps this year he played in every single one this year so I give him a bear up for his durability and the fact that we can depend on the guy to be there each and every Sunday his play however leaves a lot to be desired the fact that we're going to be paying this guy nine mil a season for the next three years makes me bananas I it's like Jesus Christ man why do we have to pay him like that he's not worth it he doesn't play like he's worth nine million a season but he's going to be our guy according to Ryan Pace but Cody Whitehair, on the other hand, this is a guy I fear for the offensive line if we ever lose him. He's been an absolute uh, gem for us. Did not have as good a second season as he did the rookie year, but that's because the guys around him, Kyle Long, Josh Sitton, and even the guys that came in to to spell those guys, uh, Bradley Soule, um, Tom Compton, in and out of the lineup with uh, injuries. I mean, we talk about that Tampa Bay game. He played all three interior line positions moving around to – fulfill for injuries uh and stuff so i give him a bear up number one for his dependability and the fact that we can always count on him to be there and uh hopefully 
our health will go back to what we need it to be. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Long taking care of that with the, with the surgeries on his neck and his shoulder uh, this year. And, um, you know, so we can keep Cody Whitehair at center and uh, we can start getting some, uh, you know, get him back in the Pro Bowl. Like uh, Olin Krutz was making it every single year there for a long time. Hopefully Cody Whitehair could be that guy that, that picks up that tradition uh, from him. Uh, getting towards the end here, bear up to Zach Miller. You know, we only got to play half the season, but he was one of Trubisky's favorite targets and, you know, made an amazing play in what quite frankly could be the last play of his NFL career. Uh, that touchdown pass from Trubisky, I don't give a damn what the NFL says or what they try to tell us about the ball touching the ground and all the rest of that nonsense. He caught the ball. It was a touchdown. He damn near lost his leg making that catch for the Bears. And uh, for that, I give him a bear up. He was Trubisky's favorite target uh, in the first four games when Trubisky was on the field with him. Uh, he was a favorite target of Glennon's uh, when he was our quarterback, God help us. But, um, you know, he was one of our more reliable and dependable targets. I just wish he had better luck with the injuries uh, than he's had, especially the one that he suffered this year. But uh, bear up to him. I, I, and for his sake, I hope he doesn't play anymore. So he doesn't have to put his family through him getting hurt again. And, um, you know, but uh, if you got to go out, that's a hell of a way to do it. Honestly, I mean, most one of the most devastating injuries I've ever seen. And he still caught the ball. Amazing. Um, bear up to Eddie Goldman. Much better season. Much better job staying healthy this year. Eddie Goldman's one of those guys that's in and out of the lineup his first couple years in the league. This year was a lot more reliable than be on the field. Uh, was that uh, that big steady nose tackle that we need in the middle, that uh, that beef in the middle that the Bears need. Keep guys like Trevathan and Kwiatkowski clean so they can make tackles for us, which they did on quite a bit this year. Bear up Sam Acho. Forced into duty due to injuries because of, you know, McPhee and Willie Young going down. Leonard Floyd missing a good chunk of the season there at the end. Uh, you know, all the rest of it. And he started a lot more than he probably should have. This year played pretty well, um, you know, get the job done, man. You know, he's uh, he's that wasn't the role he was supposed to play, but he was forced into doing it. And I think he did it well. So bear up to Sam Acho, bear up to Akeem Hicks. Guy was a beast, you know, had seven sacks last year. I think he finished this year with eight and a half or nine sacks this season. Um, you know, kind of tapered off in the second half of the year, but so did the team. So it's not really on him. And then finally, I want to give this bear up to Lamar Houston. Guys had an interesting year. Gets cut at the end of uh, training camp in the preseason. Uh, was unemployed there for a little bit. Got picked up by the Texans. Then when it became a reality that they weren't going to make the playoffs and so on, they want to give more time to the younger guys. They cut Lamar Houston just in time for the Bears to have to pick him up when uh, Leonard Floyd went down uh, for the year. Came in, and I think he did a fine job for the Bears in those final, I think, what, six games, seven games of the year that we had him on the team for. So bear up to him, and um, you know I wouldn't be opposed to bringing him back. It's not like he's going to be the six or seven million dollar year guy that we signed him to be originally. I think it'll be just fine if we brought him in at that you know veteran minimum, like two million a year or whatever it is. So it must suck to be a football player that the minimum that you're going to make is two million dollars. <laughs> what a what a horrible life those guys lead, right? Uh, anyway, I think that's everybody on the list. Howard and Krakowski. Yeah, that's everybody. I got everybody. So that's it. There's your 2017 year in review, bear up and bear down list. That is it for the 2017 season. 
But as I said earlier, we have one more episode before we close the book entirely on this year. And that will kind of be our 2018 teaser. Uh, When the Bears decide who their next head coach will be, I will be back to kind of do a review episode on that. Hopefully I'll be able to uh, watch his introductory press conference and, uh, you know, be able to uh, comment on that. So um, not sure when that will be. Don't really know what the Bears' timetable is for for hiring a coach. You know, if it's McDaniels that they want, will they have to wait until after the Super Bowl? Or uh, maybe if it is Pat Shermer, like uh, Lauren Cox and I hope it is, then when the when the Vikings Super Bowl run uh, comes to an end, maybe we have to wait until after Super Bowl for that uh, as well. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see. But uh, regardless of who it is, there will be one more show, number sixty for the 2017 season before we wrap it all up and go into hibernation until free agency comes around in March. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Follow me on Twitter at shy bears review. Come to the Facebook page. Just search Chicago bears review on Facebook. Join the group and join the conversation. I love interacting with you guys. Um, And um, you know, let's stay in touch. You know, we'll be back in a little while uh, with uh, when the bears hire this brand new coach. Talk about that and what that means for the Bears going forward. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.